Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm David Chen, and with me are... Devendra Hardwar. And Jeff Kanata. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. Today, uh, all we're going to do is a review of Split and a After Dark for you guys. That's pretty much all we got in store for you guys today. Uh, but before we get to Split... That's going to be more than enough, Dave. Don't I say it like so. that. I hope Don't so. say it like that. Come on. Uh, before we get to that, though, wanted to make an announcement. Uh, I am launching this experiment uh, for the Slash Filmcast. Uh, I call it the Slack Filmcast. Get it? Because it's a... Anyway... Uh, I'm starting a Slack group. Now, for those of you who don't know what Slack is, it is a real-time collaboration tool that's used by many startups and and teams these days. Devendra, I think you use this at your workplace, right? Oh, yeah. My life is uh, ruled by Slack right now. Yeah. uh, The last company I was at used Slack quite a bit. Uh, It's kind of like... chat room but the chat like it's a series of chat rooms that are organized into uh different discussion topics and uh, there's a lot of uh, tools and flexibility there and so i thought hey let's try uh, an experiment where we gather a bunch of slash filmcast listeners into the slack and see what happens see if we can talk about movies now i, I will just say it is generally uh, probably most useful for something like a movie you just saw you know i'll create like a new channel for a movie you just saw uh, or a real, real-time event like uh, Golden Globes or Oscars or something. We'll have a channel that talks about that. That's kind of the use cases that I think would be best for it. Uh, so right now it's still a little bit unruly and disorganized. But if you want to join us and try it out, just go to slackfilmcast.com. That's S-L-A-C-K filmcast.com. Put in your name and your uh, email address, and I'll send you an invite. Uh, and join us as we talk about uh, movies like the one we're going to talk about today, Split, the new film by director M. Night Shyamalan. Hey, pardon me, sir. I think you have the wrong car. was sent to get you for a reason. There's a flower on the pillows, a flower in the bathroom. Like, we're important. The only chance we have is if all three of us go crazy on this guy. Who is that? Maybe she can help us. We're here! Help us! We're here! Don't worry. He's not allowed to touch you. He knows what you're here for. Listens to me. That was from the trailer of Split, the newest film by writer-director M. Night Shyamalan. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. After three girls are kidnapped by a man with 24 distinct personalities, they must find some of the different personalities that can help them while running away and staying alive from the others. Uh, As I mentioned, this film was written and directed... By M. Night Shyamalan, and as of the time we're recording this, it is uh, on track to make over $40 million at the box office this weekend, which is huge. I think the fourth largest January opening ever, and uh, this movie, I cannot imagine it costs more than $10 million to make. It's a Blumhouse mm-hmm. Productions film. Uh, they made movies like uh, M. Night Shyamalan's last movie, The Visit, and uh, The Purge. Like They do a lot of low-budget movies. Uh, and uh, a lot of them have like a budget of no more than $5 million. This looks like it might have been a little bit higher than that, but uh, I'm not sure. Regardless, 
it, it probably costs less than forty million dollars, and uh, I think this movie is on like probably going to do potentially like a hundred million. Who knows? Like it could it could do really well, and uh, this is like I guess the next step in M Night Shyamalan's comeback. You know, I uh-huh. think this movie is going to see him making more and bigger films. And that's something that's uh, pretty exciting, depending on yeah. how much you like M. Night Shyamalan. So is it the Shyamalanaissance or the Shyamalanaissance? Yeah, I, I like the, sec- the latter. I like yeah, the second the one. Yeah. <laughs> say, say that again, Devendra. The Shyamalanaissance. Shyamalanaissance. I like that. That's good. Yeah. That's good. All right. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how, how long people have been listening to this podcast or how old you are, but it's easy to forget that there was a period in time when M. Night Shyamalan movies were major events – yeah. That would rake in tons of box office. He right? was the new kid on the block. The yeah. next I mean, Spielberg, they called him. When you come out with The Sixth Sense, I think that was his third mm-hmm. film uh, in 1999, that movie made $673 million in 1999 money. Uh, that is incredible. And uh, I think it was at, like number one of the box office for like five, six weeks. Uh-huh. So, uh, And it, not only that, it was a, a cultural phenomenon. Yes. You know, it yes. created – you know, it, it changed a lot of things and it, it it turned I mean, I think that movie is probably has a bigger hand in spoiler culture than <laughs> than most. I think it, for it sure, for because sure. it was it, arriving around the same time that the internet was happening in full force and mm-hmm. I think it was you know, happening in full force. Hey, because uh, that's another of his movies. Yeah. <laughs> but it was like we were all a part of a global village, you uh-huh. know. What was uh, there was a lady in the water. He, he was ushering in the signs <laughs> of a new yeah. box office, uh, you know, behemoth that would be his name, and that would ultimately prove <laughs> to be, unfortunately, not unbreakable. And, <laughs> and he and airbended his be, career, guys. Uh, yeah, and that movie was the last Airbender that he. No. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. One thing to point out about the Sixth Sense too, like it was a mature genre film, and yeah. that was something like the '90s. Well, it's not good for a lot of genre movies, I think, and th- just having a grown-up ghost story was kind of nice and different and refreshing. Yeah, uh, and not only that, but as Jeff indicated, it gave us you know one of the probably most famous lines in all of cinema history: "I see dead people." Uh-huh. Uh, That's cultural impact, by the way. Yeah, that is cultural relevance. Uh-huh. No, nobody's arguing that, guys. Nobody's arguing that. No one says I see you. <laughs> it's, it's definitely. <laughs> oh, I, I, Jeff, I'm going to give you so much crap in the after dark about after dark cultural relevance. It's going to be awesome. But before we get to that, people are always conflating the two, and they always say, "I see you, dead people." <laughs> so very good, Jeff. Uh, so anyway, yeah, uh, Unbreakable, 248 million dollars. Signs, 408 million dollars. Uh, he was box office magic this guy and then uh made a bunch of movies in a row that didn't do very well lady uh-huh. in the water the happening uh last airbender made 320 million dollars but was very terribly reviewed no one was happy with that film yeah one uh, of the worst so, movies i've ever seen so yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's awful i mean davinger you're a huge fan of that it series. broke my heart too. i still like, remember it's not I only st- a bad movie but it broke my heart i remember and how I, upset you were when you saw that film yeah and then i had to talk to him the day after i saw that movie so that was my first like big interview too and man he's he's a nice guy but it's hard to like reconcile that with destroying a property you love 
Yeah. Uh, then he made movies like, uh, well, as as we mentioned, The Happening was very bad as well. But he made After Earth, which was not written by him. He kind mm-hmm. of, uh, or, or or not like primarily written by him, if I recall. Not correctly. really directed by him. Um, no. But uh, you know, it, it's a he, he kind of ended up ended up in director's jail, and he did what a lot of directors do when they're in director's jail, which is uh, they make a movie with Blumhouse Productions. Uh, and <laughs> well, you Blum- know, also Dave, I. I think it bears mentioning too, and I know people already know this, but mm-hmm. it's an interesting phenomenon, his his career, because as we said, he made such a big splash with uh, the surprise ending of, of Sixth Sense. But then as his movies progressed, he almost became a parody of himself or yes. at least yeah. the impression of him. Yep. Like everybody loved the surprise until they hated it. Right? Robot until Chicken they- still makes fun of that. Like, right. That's the thing, and that show's still going on. What over ten years now? But man, yeah. And uh, there would be. I, I remember when Devil came out. That movie. Uh, <laughs> that he he didn't even direct that film. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But his but name was in the trailer. His name was in the trailer, yeah. and there was like a video that went viral of M Night Shyam- like an M Night Shyamalan production or whatever coming up on screen, and then uh-huh. everyone in the audience laughing. That happened in my Shyamalan. theater here yeah, in New York. Like, like, like people man. were laughing. At the name M Night Shyamalan, which is a name that they used to revere, uh-huh, uh, right. and yeah, it was it was kind of tragic. It was kind of tragic, but but anyway, uh, I, I agree with you, Jeff. It is like a very interesting phenomenon, uh, and he made a Blumhouse movie, which is basically a very low budget film, uh, typically like under five million dollars. But they, you know, they have some there's some benefits to doing that. Number one, complete creative control as long as you do not exceed the budget. Uh, and number two, if the movie does really well, then uh, you end up getting some back-end points. So, you know, you're kind of like putting all of your faith in that the movie will do well. So you're talking the visit, about The Visit. Yeah, The Visit, right. The Visit, yeah. Uh, made $98.5 million. And uh, nice. it was kind of like a return to form for him. So now, liked it. Yeah. Now he follows it up with Split. And now that we've gotten to the end of that uh, very lengthy preamble to our review, <laughs> we need to say that... Uh, we will be spoiling Split right from the top because it is a movie that you cannot discuss really yeah. unless you know what the ending is and what it implies and, and all that stuff. So, and we're not we're not fucking around here, people. <laughs> Listen to what we say. We're spoiling the movie. I'm asking you not to listen to this episode. I'm I'm here's me coming yeah. to you. Just yep. one guy standing in the rain. Asking you not to listen to this episode. He, he, Jeff's a boy standing in front of a Slash Filmcast audience. That's asking right. Asking them not to listen to the episode. Turn split. it off if you haven't seen the movie. Please. We need, we need like an extreme spoiler warning with like air horns just for, yeah. just for movies like this. Like, burr, 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 burr. no, no, yeah. stop listening. Off, off, you, yes, off. I'm talking to you, the guy who's like, eh, I don't care about spoilers. Off, turn it off. I mean, you know, <laughs> I don't know if you guys have gotten the impression that Jeff doesn't want you to get spoiled in this movie. Yeah. Uh, I certainly did by the fact that he tweeted it 50 times in the last week. <laughs> but dude, can I tell you how you many gotta be people, low-key about it. How, <laughs> how many thank yous I've gotten from for that? For people like, I wasn't planning to see it. Thank you so much for urging me. I didn't know anything about it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Like, it's a, th- a thing. I, all I want is more than anything is to give people – not give. I'm not the one giving. But You're to dispensing just, it from your infinite generosity. No, to, yeah. ha- to ensure that the most people have as close to the experience I had in seeing that movie because of how 
grateful I was for the experience I had in seeing that movie. I, I just want I want that people to give themselves that gift of of having that experience. So turn off this podcast. Turn it off. If you haven't seen if you haven't seen the movie. Right. If you have <laughs> otherwise keep listening. If you have keep yeah. listening. Uh, all right, any any other like we're kind of vamping here to give yeah. people time to reach the pause button on their podcast. Uh, and any other warning you want to give people, Jeff? I think I think that's it, right? Just you, not fucking you, around here. You are robbing yourself of something potentially magical. Yes. If you continue Indeed. listening, mm-hmm. ha- not having seen the film. With that being so, uh, you know, I'm, you know, just for that, I'm just gonna put the spoiler button in right here as well. Boom. Now you're looking for the secret. You're gonna see this coming. No. But you won't find it because, of course, you're not gonna see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. <laughs> so people right, just now we end this episode and we start a new episode. So they have to physically choose <laughs> to start another episode. No, they have to re warn everybody again. <laughs> oh, that's true. Damn it. We get into the infinite loop of warnings. <laughs> so Okay. Split. Uh, now that we are in total spoiler zone, Jeff, I kind of want you to tell me about your reaction upon seeing this movie because it was – I've never seen you react that way to a film. I've been podcasting I, with you for years now. I've never yes. seen you react that way to a film. I was shaking in my seat. First of all, I, OK, I saw it at a, a press screening with a bunch of people whose opinions I respect and I could not help myself. I exclaimed – I, like vocally said, "Oh my god!" at the at the end of that movie, <laughs> and there was there was I was not the only one doing that. There was a guy uh, a few rows away from me who literally, and he, this was a press person who was saying out loud over and over, "The best ending of all time, <laughs> all time." Oh, oh, so you so you were at the screening with that guy that that Amy yes. Nicholson tweeted about? Yes. Yes. Oh, you didn't mention that. Okay, so basically, yeah, Amy Nicholson tweeted after she saw the film. The film critic from um, MTV News tweeted like that someone was leaving the screening saying the best ending of all time, just screaming it. Right? <laughs> he was sitting in his chair as the credits were rolling, saying that over and over, like at loud volume. And I, I think I know who it was. I'm not going to out him, but um, I, I do. Peter Serrano from Slashfilm. No, no okay. Anyway. The lady sitting next to me turned because she saw me because I was all by myself. I was at a press screening. I go by myself often because my wife just has to stay home with the kid. But it's a packed screening. I was between two people I didn't know. The lady because I don't do buffer seats, Dave. I don't know if you know that. Yeah, yeah um, I heard. Yep. The lady sitting next to me turned to the, turned to me and went. What did I miss? What just happened? <laughs> I was like, ah, I can't. I, and then I, w- I was shaking in my chair. I, I walked down the lobby. Um, Andy Signore from, uh, from uh, Honest Trailers uh, was there. We were both like, I can't believe this. I can't believe this. How do, how do we even – like, we can't overhype it. I was like, oh, I think I already tweeted a few things. I probably should delete those. Yes. Um, and and then I and then I went to the parking lot and I texted you, Dave, because I knew you had already seen it. And I was in my car. I couldn't turn my car on. I was shaking in my car. <laughs> I was like, I'm, I'm I was physically affected. And like, I, you and I texted back and forth. And then you at some point went, I have to call you because I need to hear your voice right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so if you're still listening to this and you haven't seen the movie. Give yourself that experience. <laughs> Stop 
listening. Well, well, you're still giving spoiler warnings. Even this, we're 15 minutes in. You're still giving spoiler warnings. Okay. Uh, I, you know, I talk a lot on the show about Unsullied, about protecting myself from spoilers and all that stuff. The reason I do all that stuff, it, you know, it, there's a there's a spectrum of of enjoyment, right? This is the furthest extreme of that enjoyment. This is yes. the only yep. other time I've experienced anything like this was when uh, Samuel Jackson walked out at the end of Iron Man and said, "You know, I want to recruit you for the Avengers Initiative." I remember. I was with people that I that I care for, and I stood up in my chair and put my both arms in the air and screamed out, "Yes!" <laughs> uh, it, that feeling is so magical. It's so magical to be completely broadsided by something that that you didn't expect, but it is exactly what you always wanted. It's like it's magic. Anyway, mm-hmm. so I don't know how if now we just sort of like go in and talk about it, or I mean, Davinci, you had a similar experience of, of that. The kind of feeling, right? Of, of well, definitely. Uh, I so I was watching at the Alamo Draft House here in New York City, Alamo, which has a lot of rules about you know the noise you can make and shit. And even though I knew it was the end of the movie, I had to like contain my excitement too because I feel a little restricted there sometimes. Uh, but I was like, uh, I, I like I told my wife like that that music. I you know I know what this is and it's like the slow realization of what this movie was happened. Yeah, I was I was freaking out in my seat. I was very sad that nobody else in my audience was, but it was like a matinee screening, so maybe they didn't even know what it really meant. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, here, here's what I'll say. I was actually quite disappointed in the film that had come before the ending, <laughs> but I, I will say this: it is incredibly ballsy. Yes. Uh, what he did. And I think, you know, Jeff, the way you put it when we were talking on the phone was really astute. You said, you've never seen anything like this, a movie disguised as another movie. That's which, exactly what he did. Which he I don't think one movie as another movie. Right, which I don't – I agree. Like I, I've been racking my brain to think about it and I can't really think about it. And it like – it's, there are there are movies that, that aren't that don't turn out like what you think they will be, but there's there's rarely movies that like are in a completely kind of category or genre uh-huh. than what you think they're going to be. Right? I think Unbreakable is that right. The, the first time I saw Unbreakable, uh, I got to, we got to the end and I realized, oh my god, I've been watching a superhero movie this entire time. Mm-hmm. But, but we knew that we knew that was going to be like a comic book movie. Before I don't it, remember knowing that. Yeah, Jeff but. probably. I mean, I, I didn't know that either. Uh, I, th- I remember it being marketed as this like thriller from the guy who did the six. Oh, Sense. right, right, right. You're right. And you're right. It was yeah, about yeah. a train crash, and it was really dark, and it was like <laughs> eerie and moody, and another movie from the Sixth Sense guy. So you think like sort of like pseudo horror thriller movie. Yeah, and it's then him all sneaking the- his genre sensibilities into like adult hor- into adult dramas, basically. Right. And then you get to the end of that and you go, oh, my God, no, we've been watching a superhero origin movie this entire movie. And, you know, you talk about it with like uh, a Borat movie. You go, oh, my God, it sucks because you can never make a sequel to Borat because now he's so famous that everybody would be like, ah, the Borat guy. Ah," You know, so he could never he could never do that trick again and kind of think the same thing with Unbreakable. You go, well. You could do a sequel to Unbreakable, and we've all been clamoring for a sequel to Unbreakable for many, many years. You know, every time M Night would go to a convention, the first question would be like, "Are you working on a sequel to Unbreakable? Can we get a sequel to Unbreakable?" Because Unbreakable ends, and you go, "Oh my god, I want to see more in this universe." And you think to yourself, 
You well, he, you could do a sequel to Unbreakable, but it would have to start out as a sequel to Unbreakable. You couldn't mm-hmm, mm-hmm. pull the same trick again because we we'd all know. And he fucking did. <laughs> he did. Now, so See, I, I, I want to mm-hmm. say, like, uh, in in our Slack, we have a channel called uh, Split Spoilers, where people have been talking about uh, spoilers for the movie Split, and um, it's been such a joy to read people's reaction to you know seeing split and, and what they felt uh ryan ferguson shared in the chat i've been listening to the unbreakable score for 15 years it's on my reading slash getting stuff done playlist listen to it on heavy rotation all throughout undergrad and high school uh undergrad and grad school i should say so when that first bar of the unbreakable score dropped i sat bolt upright in my yep, chair yep. what is going on here and then i started <laughs> freaking out started thinking if bruce willis pops up i'm gonna lose my damn mind and then he did <laughs> And I did. I haven't yeah. ever had a cinematic experience like this. Yep. It took me hours to come down from the adrenaline high. <laughs> yeah. And repeating the last line from Unbreakable, by the way, like it was, it yeah. was like an, I, yeah, it was an ice cream sundae with like all the <laughs> toppings, and then they called him Mr. Glass, cherry on top, end movie. I do want to say though, like <laughs> as much as I enjoy that experience, um, I almost we should probably talk about it separately from the movie itself yeah, because yeah. I think you. The movie easily could have not been an Unbreakable sequel. It could have just been its own separate thing. And uh, I think you could still judge it as that because the the movie has problems, too. Like, I, I don't think just yeah. because it's tied into the Unbreakable universe, that makes those problems go away. I so agree. I agree. So let's, agree. Let's, let's dive into that. Let me just say real quick because that was mm-hmm. what Dave kept saying to me when we were yep. texting back and forth. And I agree with you 100%, Devendra. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed the movie up to that point, too. And then it got amazing. Yeah, but I yeah, also yeah. feel like the thing I said to Dave was it also doesn't matter. Like it, <laughs> all of the flaws in the movie up to that point cease to matter right? because the magic trick is so much better than any other magic trick. I mean here's a guy who's famous for pulling magic tricks who is a – a parody of himself. People talk mm-hmm. about the Shyamalan ending. You know, it's, it's a joke. And he so completely outdoes himself with that. Like, he pulls off a bigger trick than he's ever pulled off yeah. before. Yeah. Not only that, but the, the commitment to it. Because if this movie had been marketed as Unbreakable 2, it would make so much more money. You think? Oh, 100%. I, I actually do think like the Unbreakable hardcore fans uh, like us, we are, we are not a large crowd. Is the thing like that movie was successful, but I also like I talked to a lot of people. My wife didn't. Yeah, get a lot. A lot of people just didn't because yeah. this is from you know it's over a decade old. You know, like yeah. a lot of people don't even know. So I guess one, and we've seen this year, 2016, I should say, uh-huh. how badly you know sequels have performed for you know movies that people didn't. Right, but I'm, t- I'm telling you, like if you know, I love I love our friend Dan Trachtenberg, and I love his movie. But if that movie had not been called Cloverfield. <laughs> and had come out and had been surprised Cloverfield, it would not have made as much money as it. It would not uh, have. No, I agree completely with you in that case. But that's different. How, however, yeah, yeah I, I, but I believe I that's think different. I think it's the same exact thing. I think, well, it's, no, it's I, between... I think it's completely different because, yeah. uh, firstly, uh, like the Cloverfield name has a lot of, still has a lot of stock. Like the JJ name still mm-hmm. has a lot of stock. People whereas, know what that <laughs> is. Yeah. I think Unbreakable has – I think when you talk about uh, Shyamalan well, uh, – Hold on. I'm sorry. One last thing, Jeff, before you mm-hmm. go into that is is that the other thing is that uh, 
if you had sold this as an Unbreakable sequel, it would have been incredibly confusing to people. Yes. Because Unbreakable yes. is a Bruce Willis-led well, but it would have, comic it would book have, origin story. It, would have been, it wouldn't have been the same film. Like, he wouldn't have – I don't think you just do a title change. If you're – the whole movie is structured yes. for that reveal, mm-hmm. the entire film. And it's an extraordinary experience. Like, he, he's the only filmmaker, I think, that really does this, which mm-hmm. is you get to the final moment – and you have to completely rethink through everything you've seen because you thought you – you literally thought you were watching one movie and you were watching yeah. a different movie. And it's, Although, not, it's not just a – it's not just a, a quaint twist. It mm-hmm. really was always structured to be that second movie. Yeah. You just didn't know it. I think this is the biggest and best twist he's ever done too. Like it is, it is a wonderful hat trick. It blew my mind. Um, and I also remember being in the theater and seeing the unbreakable ending too. And like, that's still, that still has a lot of impact, but I don't know if you recontextualize the movie with that in place, if it changes much. Is yeah, the thing. Like yeah. ultimately this movie is a sort of like an origin story of a villain, just yeah. like unbreakable was an origin yeah, story. We, we, we've been dancing around it the whole time. Yeah. But basically, the ending is for for those who aren't clear on it. The yeah. ending is you find out that this movie takes place in the same universe as Unbreakable. <laughs> A takes place in the same universe as Unbreakable. B has events in it directly yep. impacted by the events that happen in Unbreakable. I would and, say I would say that I mean because during the course of the movie, at a certain point, you know, when he reaches his final state. And he has to go to a to a train station. I was yeah. like, "What yeah. the fuck? Do, what is that about?" Yeah. Well, it's clear what that's about. Like, yeah. it's clear that Mister Glass created both Bruce Willis's character yeah. and James McAvoy's character in the same moment. Yeah, that's yeah. a yeah. nice little bit of the symbolism too. Like, I love how they're both both born there, and the movie drops a lot of hints that it is tied into that universe. Like, did you guys have the inkling at all while watching it? Because no. while the while the therapist was explaining uh, things like, um, what if these people are more than us? You know, yeah, what if I, these, yeah. these traumas they went through? And that actually is how they refer to a lot. That's how um, Elijah talked about, um, you know, Bruce Willis's powers. Yes. Yeah, the language is very similar. Yes. Yeah, And yeah. then that it's started about- clicking. And the train imagery was like it. That was like, I, I started thinking in maybe at the beginning of the last act, like, what if this was an Unbreakable sequel? That would be pretty cool, huh? <laughs> Nobody would ever do that. Like, who's crazy enough to do that? This guy is, apparently. Well, the, the whole movie, I had this weird sense of, like, I've never seen one of these, you know, trapped in a space movies. We, we've got a lot of those. We've got, you know, Green Room, yeah. 10 Cloverfield uh-huh. Lane. Um, the Invitation. Uh, the Invitation. Yeah. Yeah. There was what, uh, what was the one about the blind guy? Um, uh, don't Breathe. Don't breathe. So there's a lot of those recently. So we're sort of – I'm in that headspace, right? And I'm going, boy, I, I really haven't seen any of those movies that are this unconcerned with the people in peril. Yeah. Like this movie <laughs> just doesn't seem to care about them. So there's all these weird hints that like I'm not really watching the movie I think I'm watching. And then at the end you realize, oh, 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 I get it. I get, I, it all makes sense by the end and you realize mm-hmm. all this information you were being fed, all the stuff that the therapist was saying, all the things about – uh, you know, the people who are hurt are really special. It, all of that directly ties into the messaging from Unbreakable, where trauma and hardship is what triggers superhuman abilities. It, it's, it's amazing. The other thing he does mm-hmm. that I think is so amazing in this movie is he trolls his detractors a bit <laughs> because um, one of the things that we always have said, in fact, we even said it during the visit review uh, quite frequently, is that the the M Night trope is 
the one thing we know about our heroes is this is the one thing that saves them, right? The only thing we know about all these characters as we go through the movie, we know that what's his name doesn't drink water. So he leaves these cups of water all around. It's the one thing that is his salvation at the end. And the little totally, girl, the little girl left the water, but yeah. Yes, excuse me. Yes. Mm-hmm. Swing away is the other only thing we know. Yes. Right? Yeah. Um the in in this case, we keep getting flashbacks to this girl learning how to be an awesome hunter. Mm-hmm. And we turn we see this guy turning into the beast, the beast, the beast. And we're clearly led to believe the one thing we know about her is going to be her salvation. And yet it turns out the one thing we didn't know about her, which is really the real point of all these flashbacks, that she's a cutter. Like we didn't know that until the last moment. That is her salvation. Like we mm. – that is a reveal. And her being able to shoot or not shoot that gun is immaterial to her salvation. It had nothing to do with it. In fact, well, it, yeah, it yeah. would not have saved her. If, the guy would have just kept going through mm. the gunshots and eaten her. Right. It's not yeah, it's I, not as neat as his other movies for sure. Like that's that I think is one of the big problems people have with the ending of science is that it fits together too neatly and it's kind of it's kind of a joke. Uh, but it does feel like it relies on some of those tropes as well. That's all like you, you raise a good point. Too, Jeff. Them. I yeah. think he's subverting the trope. I think he's saying uh-huh. oh, I led you to believe I was going to do the same trick I always do. And it, this is not that movie. We're in a uh-huh. different place uh-huh. right now. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, Jeff, uh, I mean, I, I really love your enthusiasm for this film. You know, I don't want to stomp on it in any way. But shut the but, hell up. But you know, well, why don't we talk about the movie itself? Like, put aside mm-hmm. the ending. Put aside the fact that this basically is a origin story for a villain in the Unbreakable Universe, right? That's what it ends up being. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about the movie itself. Let's talk about the experience of the movie up until the final 20 seconds of the movie, right? <laughs> Uh, and what what did we think of that? Mm-hmm. I, I will say that like I somewhat enjoyed the film, but found it had a lot of problems. I, I, here's what I really liked about the movie: I think like uh, Shyamalan's instincts for creating tension are yes. still very much intact. Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically, like he he has a, a really great way of moving the camera. Some, like he does this these incredibly slow camera dollies that are just like it makes you feel like uh you are slow like the the, the frame is kind of like uh closing in on you in you uh-huh. know like it's very uh-huh. like it's unsettling uh, it, yeah it's unsettling it, it feels like something's not quite right with his world like the world is not quite still uh it's like slightly moving around you and and the the tension and suspense he's able to create is really wonderful uh, I, I do want to. I, I just. I need. I need to say this because you know. I, I don't want to ignore the idea that uh, this movie might not be offensive. But I mean, uh, the way this movie handles mental illness, mm-hmm. uh, pretty problematic. I would I say. I kind of think that saying that saying the way that the Joker handles mental illness is problematic. I but think we did, we didn't know that while we're watching it. That's the thing. Like but we the, didn't have the context that oh this is. In the context of a comic book movie, I thought I was just watching a thriller. But I, then it was, right? But then it was. Yeah, but that doesn't I, affect I, I, how I you mean, initially. Yeah, saw I, it. I, yeah, so I, I don't agree with you, Jeff. I, I think that the the fact that they're referring to like a real life condition, uh, they call it by the technical name, you know, mm-hmm. in this movie, like, and and for but that as real we, life condition gives you superpowers. You can't. <laughs> that's true. You can't ignore that. Like the, it's not. But, but we're before, not in that place. Yeah. It, even before the super, even it. before the superpowers, though, like the stuff that 
happens in the movie, I, I would argue people could find plausible. Look, I'm not going to dwell on this. I just wanted to say one quick thing about it, and then we can move on. But I, I did want to acknowledge that uh, some people in the mental health community have come out and said, like, the way this movie handles uh, mental illness uh, is c- could be pretty damaging. There's an article of The Guardian. I'll link to the show notes. It says it's, it's entitled, From Split to Psycho, Why Cinema Fails uh, Dissociative Identity Disorder, or DID, which mm-hmm. is uh, what this movie, the James McAvoy character has in this movie. Uh, quote, movies such as Split can be extremely damaging, argues Dr. Simone Re- uh, Reinders, a neuroscientist studying DID at King's College. They make it seem as if patients with DID are extremely violent and prone to doing bad things. This is actually not true, and it very badly misrepresents a psychiatric disorder. Individuals with DID definitely do not have a tendency to be violent, more a tendency to hide their mental problems. I'm very concerned about the effects that the movie will have for patients with DID and how the general public will now see those patients there's already a lot of stigma and skepticism concerning this specific disorder end quote yeah yeah um, it's a very good point and we talked about that too around the visit right and about dementia yeah and dealing with older people as well like he's taking these things that exist he's taking these things that, that exist that are kind of like yeah. somewhat normal like in the case mm-hmm. of dementia and old people like somewhat normal in the case of did it is not some like far right, out there right. uh mental illness that like people have never heard about and uh, and making them frightening and scaring and un- and mm-hmm. scary and unknown and that's very effective as a movie going technique like a, a filmmaking technique but I do think it has like some problems with the real world so yeah. uh, you can you can make up your mind as to whether or not you're bothered by that but I, I would feel remiss if we did not at least mention that there's possibilities that some people um, who know people with DID mm-hmm. or who have DID themselves will find this movie like incredibly upsetting and uh, and disturbing. So it's it's worth pointing out for sure. And honestly, I was a little disturbed by the way he uses emotional abuse as well and sexual abuse because yeah. this is something we've seen hinted at in some things too, like uh, in in uh, Unbreakable. Like there's that sequence where you know he the big fight scene is with that uh, the janitor who takes over that house and like kills the parents and you know ties up the girls. There's a lot of like hints towards things where it's a little disturbing and it, it I don't know it's a, it's a little strange how he uses it, but in this movie in particular. It yeah, feels I, like so, so yeah. I, I think he's um, handling heavy things and he doesn't know how to do it really. So I have this other podcast called Gen Pop where we talk about like uh, pop culture stuff, and we have this conversation with Maureen Ryan recently uh, about using sexual violence in films, yep. and and films and TV, and uh, a lot of people, a lot of showrunners, a lot of writers and directors use sexual violence as a shortcut. Yep. To be like, hey, oh, this this uh, woman has a very uh, disturbing uh, and troubled backstory, mm-hmm. and like just put put in some kind of molestation or rape, and like that automatically makes yeah. them complex. We have TV and- series entirely based around that idea. That is SVU, you know. Like, come on. Yeah. So so I think uh, the 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 question is like, does the movie just use it for that purpose alone? And if so, it's probably not doing a service to that particular. Uh, storytelling device. Now, Jeff, I think your argument is like, hey... My uh, argument is that it's like saying that uh, burn victims should be offended by Two-Face in Batman or respiratory... People with respiratory problems should be offended by Bane. Mm -hmm. It's... And I I think maybe the only problem is that they actually use the the official term, DID. Maybe maybe if he just didn't Mm -hmm. use that term, it wouldn't be as offensive to you. But he's working in a realm of utter fiction. And... I, the, I the, think the, the movie is not 
utter fiction until the last like twenty, like fifteen. Well, minutes. it's all it's all utter fiction. Like, it's all I utter mean, fiction. But like I, mean, I mean, I mean, yeah. it feels very plausible to me in the universe mm-hmm. of the movie. Like the the universe of the movie could exist in our real world until the last fifteen minutes. Mm-hmm. No, the, and, and we the could, entire movie, the psychiatrist is saying, I have this new theory about DID that they are uh-huh. better than us. They're superior. That they have superpower. I mean, the whole movie is building mm-hmm. toward but using not, this. Th- go, go ahead, Jeff. Finish what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I, I just, I, it's. I can understand because you use the official term that you maybe feel a little offended that you use that as a jumping off point to create this fiction. But to but to say the movie gives a false representation of what it's like to have that thing, yeah, it's not trying to create. There's no at no point is it trying to create a a, a actual uh, authentic vision of someone living with that disease. It's not that movie. Well, it's well not Jeff, I hope I hope everyone who watches this movie is as enlightened as you. And can make that determination, but I yeah. don't have that much faith in uh, everyone who's watching this movie. Like that's and the, le- slightly- the yeah. level of genre this movie is working on too uh, does isn't very clear until the end. Like until the beast shows up, and it's like, oh, we are actually doing this. Well, the other like, point is that the, yeah. the central theme of both this movie and Unbreakable is that all of these things that we we see as being detriments in our lives actually empower us. That mm-hmm. that is. The central metaphor for the unbreakable universe is that through great trying trauma and things mm-hmm. that we are actually all unbreakable, that th- these things that you feel make us broken are not yeah. what make us yeah. broken. They make us who we are and they are to be embraced and celebrated. And, you know, obviously you don't encourage a girl to be, you know, sexually abused by her uncle. But the idea is that she is not broken. That th- That's what this movie is saying mm-hmm. over and over again. This man is not broken because he has this disease. It is. I think it actually has a pretty positive message when you come right down to it. But mm-hmm. I, can, I, I can understand that if you hear that term and you go, well, this isn't how that actually is in real life. Yeah. But I don't think the movie is claiming that at any point. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, the way the movie wraps up her story, like her emotional arc, I think works. Like that, that fits into the unbreakable mold. That fits into a really emotionally resonant idea. It's just leading up to that. I think we're seeing a very traditional story of a girl being abused at a young age and trying to work through that trauma and dealing with it, you know, at an older age. So I'm glad that the movie made that turn, but it's it's still relying on a lot of those trips up until then. Like yeah, it, I, that's I, worth. I, I, I found it. Yeah, agreed with the Divine Girl. With one exception, I found the uh, wrapping up of that particular plotline to be like incredibly unsatisfying. Like now, yeah, you might yeah. say that hey, the Anya Taylor Joy character's plotline that will be that won't truly reach its fruition until the second movie in this series. And if that's the case, okay, sure. fine. <laughs> but like, I don't think that like I, I did not find that to be a mm-hmm. satisfying ending for her story. A lot of people uh, in in the Slack were asking like, well, what what was the point of showing us all? What was the point of showing us all that stuff? Like what like mm-hmm. uh, at the end of the movie, you expect something to happen with the uncle it's left ambiguous why not close that arc off in some way uh Mm -hmm. i I didn't i I didn't understand the whole thing is a swerve the whole thing is a swerve Mm -hmm. that's 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 my interpretation what what does that mean like like, say more about that jeff you are led to believe that this is her story and it is not her story it is and all of the stuff that you are you are shown all her flashbacks uh, you think are for one purpose and Mm -hmm. they are not that feels like an excuse, though. Like we can't, we cannot let 
I love the last 30 seconds of this movie. I love the potential for where the series is headed. But as a story, this is Claire's story and her story of being captured by this dude. And her emotional, like, I, I do think there is a scene where the police officer is asking, like, your guardian is here to see you. And the girl looks at her. And then the police officer looks at her. Yeah, so maybe maybe something yeah. will happen. But you yeah, don't know. The, the, movie doesn't, the movie thing. doesn't tell you. And, right, right. Uh, and Jeff, like, I find that, uh, I don't know, uh, unsatisfying possibly upsetting that the movie's just like hey we're we'll throw in a bunch of this stuff in here about you uh learning how to hunt and getting sexually traumatized as a young kid but uh by the way the movie's not even about you and you have mm-hmm. basically zero agency and you only made it out of this event no, for, for no reason not for no reason uh of your own doing like it's just no stuff dude, that that's happened a, to you. that's a misreading of what i just okay. said in my opinion well no, no, what, i'm not what the movie I'm, I'm is not... saying is the movie is saying and what, what happens in that last moment is that uh the beast of the horde as he's going to be called i guess um recognizes her as also having gone through shit yeah right and the central message of the movie is we who have endured hardship are superior we we are the the whole point of the girls who got eaten is they never had a, a a hard thing in their whole life they they everything came easy to them and so the super villain perspective is they are worthless they are food for us right um and the the movie is what the movie is saying in that moment is all of the stuff that we saw her endure and go through she had to galvanize a strength inside her to get through it to the, the, the idea of I acted out in school just so I could be alone Mm -hmm. is, is her becoming uh, a a more autonomous being is her, her saying I can be, I can be by myself. Right. I found it very empowering this, this idea. And I, I came away from the end of her, like going back to her uncle as she went through this and that uncle is not going to have a happy moment. Like she is, Mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't know. I, I came away with it going, oh, things have changed for her. Things have. Well, we also we don't quite know. And I think that look at the cop. I wish there was more to that scene, like maybe another beat where she was like, you know, I need to tell you something. Yeah, right? Fundamentally, something. fundamentally, yes. it's unresolved. Like the, yeah. the movie does not resolve that. And uh, I, I feel like the movie mm-hmm. is setting me up to expect a resolution to that particular plot line because when you're playing with stakes mm-hmm. that big – when you're playing with uh, sexual violence as a, uh, as a storytelling technique, like you need to find a way to justify that. And I did not think the movie did that for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, just another beat, like another minute of that scene would have really wrapped up that story a lot better I think. Um, but yeah, we should probably talk about like it as a thriller too because I think we're getting bogged down. Yeah, I, so I mean, Jeff, I feel like I feel like I'm coming up pretty negative on this movie, uh, which you know, I, overall, I was kind of negative yeah, on this movie. You but liked I'm, it the least of us, but, but talking yeah. to you like intensifies my negative feelings because you are so <laughs> ridiculously positive. Like I'm like digging in my heels because uh-huh. uh, you are so relentlessly positive on this movie. I'm not saying is- that the movie didn't have flaws. I agree with Devinger. The movie the movie is not perfect, and I, I had a heck of a fun time watching it. But but I also recognize that you know uh-huh. it, it wasn't perfect th- throughout. But for me, and I know I'm maybe overemphasizing this point, but the ending completely changed everything for me. And and the feeling that I got from that ending, and the way I completely, in the moments and days since, have worked through as thought through moment to moment the experience of watching it, and mm-hmm. and looked at that 
each scene through a different lens because he presented the movie. He switched it up so profoundly at the end that I had to. That experience makes it one of the greatest in theater moments ever for me. Mm-hmm. And, and, that, and that says a lot. Now, I'm happy to have the conversation of, of the things the movie, you know, doesn't do great throughout. But I also have to say I had a blast watching it. I, I really was uh-huh. having a, having fun. I would never say, oh, this is a great movie, but it's a fun movie. It, it's, it really doubles down on having a good time, putting me in intense situations. And I honestly had no idea where it was going. Mm-hmm. I really didn't. I mean, it's a, it's a great ending, but I just, a few times, Jeff, you've mentioned the fact that, you know, the ending kind of recontextualizes or makes some of the problems less problematic in this film, and I reject that idea, because those problems still exist. It's just a great ending, and it shows us where this could all be headed. Uh, but I, I think the movie itself is a little too long. I did get a little, like, I got bored with the situation uh, somewhere towards the middle. We spend too much time with the therapist. Yeah. Um, oh, she's and- great. I loved her. She's good, but you can really focus a little more on that character. I feel like we spend a lot of time with her and her lectures and things like that, which are just not as essential to this film. I really wanted to focus on the girls and kind of what they were doing. And this is also another movie of trapped people doing very, very dumb things. Um, so that's that's the thing, right? Like when we watch uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane, I feel like that's a very um, rational a rational movie in terms of how it depicts someone being trapped, right? You try to get out. You try to attack your attacker. You do something more. Um, this movie works really hard to make the girls not do anything for a while, and then they start doing things, and it's not always the smartest things. Um, so I just I just feel like it's there's a lot of like plot reasons why they didn't all just like attack him immediately or do something else. Um, yeah, that, that's pretty much it. It's a, it's a good thriller. I'm not saying it's a bad thriller. It's just not as strong to me as something like Ten Cloverfield Lane or even Room, honestly. I will say, uh, yeah, I, I don't. It's funny you refer to Room as a thriller. Like mm-hmm. I, I did not find Room to be a thriller at all. Well, um, the first half, the first half, movie. yeah, maybe, yeah. but even that, I didn't really think was like I, I didn't take away the thriller elements from that. Uh, primarily, uh, here's what I'll say about how good the movie is. In my opinion, Anya Taylor Joy, who plays Casey Cook, is the real deal. Uh, and I thought, you know, I've, we've seen her in The Witch. I watched her in this movie, Morgan, that you guys haven't seen. Devendra, I think you turned it off on the plane. <laughs> I watched five minutes of that movie. No. no she, she's not, the best part of that movie, movie, though. She's the best part of that movie. I mean, I think she has a really strong future ahead of her in yeah. the like genre film and maybe even other. Like, I, I totally believed all of her emotions in this movie. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I thought she was like the, like the best part. James, or actually the second best part, James McAvoy. Putting aside uh, whether or not the DID depiction is problematic, there's a reason why actors are drawn to roles like this. It's because mm-hmm. they give you the opportunity to really test your range and inhabit these different personalities in the same role. And uh, I think he does a magnificent job. Like, it, yeah. It part, yeah, sometimes he's, ha- he's it's clearly silly. having a, having so much fun. Yeah, he's having a lot of fun and doing a pretty convincing job, in my opinion. Like, I I, I felt like, mm-hmm. hey, uh, the premise of this movie is like a little bit ridiculous, and uh, and certainly gets very very fantastical at the end. But he sold it the whole time. The the only part where it kind of fell short was at the ending. My audience was laughing during the final 10 minutes, <laughs> anytime the beast showed yeah. up. 
Although that um, that that sequence of him coming down the hallway and like hitting out the lights, I think is that's pure Shyamalan. Yeah. Like it's kind of hokey, but I I love the way that was constructed and the way it looks. Classic it Shyamalan, was, but yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, the, uh, that's not even James McAvoy's fault either. It's more yeah, yeah. the directing uh, decision, the way that those sequences played out. It it just looked a little bit silly to a lot of people, mm-hmm. and I mm-hmm. think. You know, to my point earlier, it undercut a lot of what this movie was until that point, which was a fairly grounded thriller. Like, it right. mostly could take place in this world, uh, other than mm-hmm. that crazy stuff the, the therapist woman was saying about DID and how it unlocks all this potential. Like, all this, all that stuff feels like it could be like The Visit, which is another movie that, like I said, could take place in our real world. Mm-hmm. And the, I, don't, I just don't think people were expecting what happened at the end and because yeah. what happened at the end you know the budget probably wasn't super high for this movie it looked a, some of the shots looked a bit goofy the reaction was laughter from my audience how about you Jeff yeah. I didn't hear any laughter I I, I just couldn't believe we were kind of going there at that, <laughs> at, in that moment I was like really he's he really can climb on walls this movie is really not what I thought it was he's like a super villain <laughs> yeah he's kind of like I, a super villain that's when I started um, thinking that yeah but I know you guys are going to be mad at me for saying this, but <laughs> I, I, I kind of feel like you're saying, man, uh, that magician placing all those cards in front of me, that was kind of boring. Like it was really – I don't i don't believe that anybody would play poker by like putting all the cards face up in front of me. It, oh, oh, he put all the aces at the bottom. Oh, well, now I get – OK, that's cool. But that other stuff at the beginning when he was putting all the cards face up, that just didn't seem believable as a as the way anybody would play poker. It's like I, it's not – Talking about that. Well, Jeff, Jeff, I think I think you're doing the thing again. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think, well, I, think I know. The, I was going to say you guys are going to get mad at me for saying it, but <laughs> I don't. But know it's weird uh, to uh, me to say to, for you guys to say like, oh, this thing at the end isn't the movie. Like it always was the movie. It was no, always it's that. It's effectively it's not a stinger. A stinger. I, I don't. I, yeah. I, here's where I disagree with you, Jeff. Like if you watch The Sixth Sense. And maybe you'll say this is different. Like maybe you'll say this is different. But Sixth Sense and Unbreakable, those movies are still enjoyable as movies. Even uh-huh. without the twist at the end, uh, in my opinion, at least. But, but I don't understand why the twist at the end is not the movie. It's barely a twist. It's more of a surprise, which somebody in our chat room said. It's more of like, hey, by the way, it's also part of this thing. It doesn't I, fundamentally I change the events that disagree happen. with that. It just changes the context of how we see the movie a little. I, I think this movie was always a movie about how James McAvoy's character turns into a supervillain. And, sure. And we yeah. think that it's not. It's disguised as a movie that's not. But once you realize it was always that, you kind of don't – criticizing it for being the movie you thought it was when it was never that movie seems silly to me. I, you know, I, I, think, yeah. I think this is a really interesting point, Jeff. Like I, I don't know that I have an answer on that. Like because on the one hand, I think you're right. Like it is it, it, its own different movie. In fact, M. Night Shyamalan – has said that this Kevin character was supposed to be in Unbreakable. There's an interview mm-hmm. in Digital Spy that someone in the Slack shared. I'm going to read from it here real quick. Quote, Kevin's character was from the original Unbreakable script. In the original script, it was David and Kevin, and Elijah was advising David that he was a superhero in real life, and he bumps into one of the ultra personalities in a train station and then follows him back. You'd see both of these things happen simultaneously. That was the original format of Unbreakable, and I pulled him out. It was too electric. I couldn't get the quiet movie I was trying to make. I'm not a big sequel guy. It goes against my engine, but it was fun to make this this way. A movie mm-hmm. that you thought was this genre for this whole movie, a psychological thriller, but then it clicks over into origin story at the end, which is great, end quote. Mm-hmm. So, uh, 
there's a lot of backing and evidence for what you're saying, Jeff. You know, like there's a lot of like M Night clearly intended it to be yeah. the way you're talking about. But intention is very different from execution. Well, but, but yeah. all, well, also it's like if here's the thing, Jeff. Let me let me put this out to you. Because there are almost zero movies that fit into this category, can we say mm-hmm. that there is like no rules for how to evaluate it? Do you know what I mean? Oh. Like, like there's there's never been another movie like this, quite like this, you know, that disguised itself as another movie. And so, I don't know that we need to have like a standard for how we can evaluate this because my standard for evaluating most movies is it needs to work as a movie separate from the twist. You know, like but, if a but movie like this. I don't understand that. That is. That is a, a strange notion to me that somehow the twist is this thing that isn't the movie. The, the movie has a running time and the entire running time is the movie, right? Uh-huh. The twist informs the entire rest of the movie. Be, just because you didn't think you were watching the movie that you were watching doesn't mean you weren't watching that. doesn't mean he didn't make that movie. Mm-hmm. He just didn't let you know until the end. You are always watching that movie, and I think yeah. that you have to evaluate the film based on the movie it was, even though you didn't know it was that movie. Sure. So if you evaluate the, the film as a supervillain origin story, <laughs> e- like even that, so you're saying as a supervillain origin story, it is an amazing film. Is that what you're saying? It is a, a, a lot of fun. It is a fun superhero movie. Yes. I don't see sure. how that changes anything. Like honestly, it doesn't change the problems of the movie being a little too long, of the therapist not being very interesting for big chunks of it, of the characters doing very dumb things. Like it doesn't. Like Jeff, it honestly sounds like you're doing more mental gymnastics <laughs> to, you know, to accept the movie as what they're presenting in the last few seconds, rather than like you. You saw this movie. You had reactions to it before it went full. You know, comic book genre, uh, comic book origins thing. Um, right. I, I think. I'm judging that part of the movie as how I saw it. And now I could say, oh, well, yeah, it's kind of different now. But I can understand people f- not accepting how full tilt this movie goes into genre. Honestly, this movie is more supernatural than even Unbreakable was, right? right. The most supernatural thing in Unbreakable is like the visions of seeing where people are. But when there's and a fight strength. with that, yeah, there's super strengths too. But the fight with the security guard is just like, it's, it's not hardcore. It's not like an X-Men fight. It's two guys tumbling around in a room. And like breaking walls and stuff. But when you see a character physically transform, honestly, that's even more comic booky than what right. Unbreakable does. But that's what I'm saying, too. Like, even if you were seeing it as an Unbreakable movie, I'd be like, oh, this is honestly maybe pushing the boundaries of like that quiet tone of Unbreakable. Because go back and watch Unbreakable. That movie is, that's a weird movie tonally. Like, it's very quiet. It's very much a drama. And it only, like, only towards the end does it really ratchet itself up as like a comic book movie. Uh, I don't even know if the Beast would fit into that movie at this point. It was probably a good idea to keep him out. Uh, well, for, firstly, I don't think that yeah. Jeff was necessarily arguing that it should be like in the tone of Unbreakable. I think he's just saying like right. – and in fact, M. Night in that interview segment I read implies that it would have been too uh, far off from the tone. That's why he was yes. not included yes. in the first place. Yeah. Now, yeah. I feel firstly I feel like Jeff is unbreak Jeff's love for this film is unbreakable and I'm like <laughs> I'm coming at him with all these you know Je- Devinder you and I were coming at him with all these different arguments for why the like movie the might movie. not be that great. I like the movie let but me I, try, I, yeah. let me try one more let me try one more argument okay Jeff let's see if this <laughs> yeah. is going to uh flummox <laughs> you okay tonight. yeah if we evaluate this movie on its own terms as a supervillain origin story then I think it focused too much on the girls that he keeps trapped <laughs> in his basement Right, like those people are completely sure. inconsequential to what's going on in this movie, and uh, the movie should also like it's not one or the. Uh, I know that you're going to say I'm <laughs> dancing here, but it's not. It's not. It's not one or the other. Like the experience is. Oh, here's the experience uh, that I had. Right, is mm-hmm. 
judging, 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 judging. Oh, wait, I was wrong. Not the movie was wrong. Not this. It was doing a crappy job of being that movie. And now it's added a weird twist. It's I am forced by the filmmaker at the end of this movie to reevaluate the things that I thought during its running time. So those that yeah maybe we did spend too much time hanging out with those girls if this is just a, a superhero origin story but it's a superhero origin story that's pulling a trick on me so the the time spent with those girls is there for a very specific reason and that is to swerve you away from thinking it is what it is like the movie is playing with you the entire time it's feeding you uh, a thriller about uh, a psychopath you know uh, capturing these young girls but it's not really about that. But it's giving you enough of that to keep you in in uh, a state of mystery, right? We're we're in the what's the, the the three stages of magic trick from the prestige, right? Yeah, um, the the turn and the yeah. You know, the first one. What's the first one? The the setup or something? Yeah, um, I don't think it was the setup, but yeah. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. you, we are you're you're sitting inside. Uh, it, it, that is the um. Oh, what's the the first part term? is called the pledge. The pledge. We, but, okay, but this whatever. is fabricated for the movie, we should say, but yes. But yeah, I know those aren't real things. Yeah. M- more accurately, to use actual magic terms, it's a um, uh, what's the freaking word they use for distraction? Um, the uh, the second act is called the turn. No, 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 no. Like actual magicians, you're not distracted. You're uh, when you they make you look at their left hand and they're doing something. Sl- in Sleight right. of hand. hand. Yeah. Oh, God, come on, guys. There's a there's a word. Uh, <laughs> This is, this is your idea, Jeff. Come on. <laughs> I know. You come so, on. We can't read your mind, Jeff. <laughs> misdirection. Misdirection, yes. That's what it is. Yeah. They're uh-huh. mis- he's misdirecting you throughout the whole movie to pull off the magic trick, right? Okay. To, 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 have you go, have, to give you that wonderful moment. The whole movie is, is built to give you that wonderful moment of, oh, sh- oh my God, it, was, it wasn't what I thought. Okay, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Let, me, let me try to describe an analogy that might – uh, capture my response to what you just said. Okay, this would be like if you sat down and you, you're gonna, someone was like going to serve you a steak dinner, right? So you sit down and they serve you something that looks like steak. They put all the trimmings of steak. They put like au jus and they put uh, a one steak sauce or whatever, and like uh, the steak rub is all over it. You know what I mean? And then you eat this thing and you're like, well, that was an okay steak. It wasn't that good. And then it's like, well, all that crap I put on top was actually just to disguise that it was actually uh, Brussels sprouts you were eating. No, 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 yeah. no, no. You, you, you're backwards. <laughs> no. Dave, you're, you're, your analogy is backwards because what you, what, what, to actually use your analogy, you say you think you're having a hamburger, this kind of fun thriller, and you're actually eating steak. At the whole time it was – Okay, 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 okay. but let me, okay, yeah, yeah, fine, okay, fine, Brussels Jeff, sprouts, let me do it again, let me do it again, let me do it again, okay? It's like someone gives you uh, a hamburger, and uh, they put buns on top of it, they put lettuce and tomato on it, and then you eat it, you're like, well, that was a really weird-tasting hamburger, and you're like, aha, it was steak the whole time, I put lettuce and tomato on top to fool you, it's like, well, you made the hamburger taste, you made the steak taste worse than it would have been otherwise, right, if you just served I, me the I steak, I, I've lost your train of thought. <laughs> no, 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 I, I don't understand. This is very clear. This is very clear. You're well, saying like, hey, steak and burger is the same thing. Hey, so. you're saying you're let's, saying let's like, pick. hey, all this misdirection, all this all this stuff, all this stuff with the girls is in there for misdirection, and uh, I'm saying, hey, Jeff, that makes the movie that it ends up being worse, right? That's a fair opinion to have, and you can have <laughs> yeah. that opinion. I don't share it. Okay, but I, I I I think it's a fair opinion. You you yeah, can yeah. say that you felt like your time was wasted uh, seeing some of that stuff, and I. I'm saying that, yes, during the course of the movie, there are things that I thought 
were a little indulgent. There were a, a, a few moments that didn't land great for me. And there were times when I was like, why are we doing this? But <laughs> – but then I realized why we were doing it. it. it yeah, you were, you, were put, you were wondering why M. Night was putting lettuce and tomato on top of your <laughs> steak. Well, I didn't know it was a steak. I was just like, this, this burger. I'm not why, really why enjoying this meal. Why'd you, why'd you make me eat steak with ketchup, M. Night? Yeah, I've, had, I've had lots of burgers in the last year. This, bur- this burger genre is really taking off. This doesn't taste like any of the burgers that I've been eating lately. But as you're eating it, you don't feel good. Like that's, it's what only, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. As you're like, eating oh, it, it's, oh, you're it's still gold in my toilet now. It's like, oh, <laughs> sorry, it's a gold Wait, what'd you what'd you say, Devendra? <laughs> what'd you say, Devendra? I said it's it's sort of like if you ate the burger and you didn't enjoy the experience of it, right? But a couple hours later, you you shit out gold. And it's like, oh no, that was worth it. <laughs> I would say to, to, to correct your analogy, it's not that you shit out gold. It's that you you finish eating the burger and you're like, that is the weirdest burger I've ever tasted. Oh fuck, it was it was a Kobe beef burger. <laughs> the aftertaste is so amazing. <laughs> It does. It just lingers in your mouth, and I'm, I'm now I'm understanding why this burger was so good. Maybe if it was like a lab-grown burger. That like, is amazing. Jeff. We've invented the best-tasting lab-grown no, Jeff, burger. Jeff, I think you, I think you perfectly captured it right there. Like that is it. That is it. Because the experience of eating it was still weird, but then after you're like, well, I guess that was pretty good. Yeah, that aftertaste it lingers in your mouth. It must so- have been. It must have been good because it was Kobe beef. <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect actually yes that's exactly it, how i it, feel it must have been good it's better than eating it that's yeah yeah it must have been good because it was it was an unbreakable sequel guys it must have been good but it, no but but for me the moment where the chef comes out and goes it was kobe beef the whole time was worth the price of it like that that moment of the chef like eh, i gotcha it, it was so it was magical and made me quiver in my chair i think you just discounted your own idea there jeff with that analogy <laughs> but jeff this is this has been a lot of fun to talk with you about this is great so, yeah. this is great um uh all right i uh, hate the inevitable sequel like <laughs> yeah that, will, that movie disappoint us after this like your heart will be broken jeff if that doesn't end up being good well I, david also uh, expressed to me while i was in my car texting him that if if the movie doesn't result in a sequel where uh, bruce willis has to sh- you know face off against James McAvoy, then the whole exercise was was a waste of time. To which I responded, no. I don't know if I quite put it like that, Jeff, but okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> what, what did you, how did you, I thought I did a very good job of summing up your position. Is that well, not Well, I think at the time I was still, my mind was still reeling from the implications that this was uh, an Unbreakable sequel. But I think mm-hmm. like, uh, the, the point I was making was, was I, I was struggling with the the feeling that I just expressed to you moments ago on this podcast, which is that like I don't think that just because of that reveal it makes the rest of the film retroactively better. And mm-hmm. uh, and but I was like, okay, well, what could make the film retroactively better if there is a sequel that justified why we had to go through this whole origin story, right? <laughs> Uh, that's, I, I said, think that's what I was trying to get to. Well, what I said was the fact that that movie now exists in our imagination <laughs> is, is a gift in and of itself. Like the <laughs> fact that we can imagine Bruce Willis facing off against James McAvoy in a superhero movie is pretty badass. Huh. I th- I, I, th- I, that's, that, I don't know. I also think if, to, the on, if the Anya Taylor-Joy character becomes... Uh, she's Robin! Yeah, if, she's she, if, she, if she is like a major character, that mm-hmm. would help to redeem uh, some of the missteps I think this movie took with her character. Yeah, so, for sure. 
uh, by like not resolving her plotline or by uh, by not giving her that much agency. You know what I mean? Um, she while- I could see her being like an oracle type character for David Dunn because her she was the one telling the girls like don't do this. This is dumb because of this. Like one punch from him will knock you out or something like that. So she is like strategic in a way that maybe I don't know maybe David Dunn hasn't been. So, any other details about this film that we should mention, guys? Oh, man. I did want to say something that uh, in Uh the Slack, Aldrin brought up uh, that I thought was pretty great. He said, quote, small detail I loved in the film. Did anyone notice that when Kevin urgently emails the psychiatrist near the end of the film, she gets 20 emails? 20 emails from 20 of his 23 personalities because they're trying to warn her about the other three personalities, Patricia, (laughs) Dennis, and Hedwig. I thought that was a neat little detail. Uh, it, it, it seemed like she took a while to take action against her potentially <laughs> harmful – Like, so she knew the guy had this penchant for like making young girls dance, which first of all – so he's on the sex offender registry, right? Like he is – like he, she could put in a call and the police should check in on him. Uh, I don't know why she went herself. Like there's definitely enough there to be like, hey, maybe uh, let's get some help here. I don't know. I loved that I kind of never knew whether she was legitimately being nice to him or, uh-huh. like, playing him, you know? I, I always kind of was like, is she, like, working on a high-level psychologist level of, of like, just <laughs> placating this guy? Or does she, like, legitimately think he's a nice fella? That I, would be I, a great twist, by the way. If she was the real supervillain manipulating <laughs> the sub-supervillain, oh, shit! <laughs> I, uh, I liked – I thought she was great. Betty Buckley is the actress. Yeah, yeah, and she's I, great. She's, like, mostly a TV actress. I don't really recognize her, but – the part, the part she when she uh, confronted you <laughs> yes, know, him and, yes. and got his other personality to come or admit that he was in the light was pretty amazing. Like mm-hmm. That was a great scene, great buildup, and uh, yeah, I thought she overall did a great job. Mm-hmm. So, and I think McAvoy is just is, – he's so fun to watch when he turns into that sort of older woman character and it, it's – just watching him do that stuff is really fun. I, You know, it's probably will sound whatever. I don't mean it to come off – the way it probably will but uh as an actor i I recognize that that kind of thing isn't hard like it's not that's not that's not nearly as hard as uh, you know just sort of being a a normal character and and you know conveying being being broad is not as difficult as as being very nuanced yes exactly uh so it's not like oh my god he's an amazing actor because he could do all these personalities yeah throwing on an accent and being affected that's the fun stuff right but it he does it with aplomb and he does it with such gusto that you feel there's a joy in in watching him like dive in with both feet. It's he's he does a great job, and it's just really fun. I was never I was never scared in this movie. I never felt any kind of horror to it. Uh, I was just intrigued, and uh, I was on the edge of my seat during th- certain th- sequences, and I thought there was a lot of suspense. But I never it never felt like a horror movie. Which it, it actually wasn't. So. Until he started seeing pieces being eaten from people. Like, it, get, it got gory and a little scary pretty quickly. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was, I was pretty scared. I was pretty scared by go. it because yeah. I did think it was a horror movie, Jeff. Yeah. Like most people who saw the film, I imagine. It seemed well, no, like a horror thriller. Yeah. <laughs> right. But the, um, the moment that when they, they were bringing her out of the zoo and she was passing all the animals, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, is the – is the twist that it was in her head the whole time? Well, is that I'm glad it wasn't. I did my predict. God. I did like when when I sat down with my friend to watch this film. I did say, "Hey, do you want to guess what the twist is? Here are my two guesses. <laughs> Number one, uh, Anya Taylor Joy's character Casey is another personality in 
in James McAvoy's head. Right. You know, and that certainly, uh, I thought that might be the case when he doesn't immediately spray her when he gets in the car. By the way, the yeah. reason for that, just so people know, uh, another thing I gleaned from the Slack is that he had apparently been tracking the two girls for quite some time, right? He so, mentions that, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. they were his target. And then, like, he didn't know that she would show up. And I guess he was fine to uh, not spray her immediately as long that as she was That still doesn't make sense. Like, that's, a, that's an explanation of what happened. But, yeah, it doesn't... Well, he, only, a lot of, he only sprays people when they're not a threat. Or, or, or sorry, when they are a threat. When they are a threat. Say, when he's determined they are a threat. Um, I guess. But, uh, anyway... So, uh, what was I? I was in the middle of something else. The but, second thing uh, that you thought it could be, the twist? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, the first thing was that she might be, like, uh, another character in his head, his head. Or the other thing is that, like, she's the one with multiple mm-hmm. personality disorder. I'm glad we didn't know And, that. like, he, yeah. you know, like, he... How great is it that everybody that goes into this movie is like, I think I know what the twist is, Shyamalan. I'm smarter than you. And he's like, fuck y'all! <laughs> <laughs> one thing we should mention, this movie was shown months ago at Fantastic Fest. Yes. And somehow the twist has not leaked out. I don't uh, understand how that's possible. I don't understand yeah. how kudos to he, that they audience. Could even make yeah. it like how he, I think it's because people respect it so much. Yeah. Like the audacity of doing it. The we haven't even talked about the fact that the posters for Unbreakable in this movie like link up. Mm-hmm. Like the mm-hmm. it, it is so beautiful. This magic trick. It is so pure and wonderful that I think people just respected the fact that he did it and were like, I ain't going to ruin that for people. Because all of us, when I came out of my screening, which was you know before the movie came out too, everybody that I passed by was like, how do we not tell everyone this? <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah. Well, what do you think the, uh, the next movie will be called, guys? Unbra- well, yeah, Unbreakable and Split. By the way, Unbreakable and Split also themselves have uh, kind of uh, mirror image titles you know, or, right. or uh, alternate uh, opposite titles, opposing titles as it were. Yeah. Uh, don't know what the next movie will be. Glue, glued back together? I, I don't know. I hope. Uh, I hope he, he. I suspect he's probably not going to make the sequel we all want. But I uh-huh. really hope that would that would be so much fun to see. He's. I think he really enjoys the origin stories. Like that's what we keep seeing a lot too. Like Unbreakable. Uh, people playing out in the chat room was kind of an origin story for both. You know, uh, the hero and the villain. Right. And yeah. This and let's, one and let's make that. Exp- let's make that clear. Yeah. Like. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson's character you find out at the end of Unbreakable mm-hmm. Devendra, you watched the most recently like yeah. what is Samuel L. Jackson's character doing in Unbreakable like what is his- so he is he is basically a mass terrorist like he has enabled the train tra- the train crash a, an exploded uh, he blew up a plane and he set a hotel on fire. The total of victims, by the way, is like over 500 people. Like he has killed a lot of people. And, and the purpose all of, of all this is yeah, to, yeah. of his hero. Yeah, of his like op- mirror opposite. So basically, Mr. Glass is like the Joker of this universe. And uh, the Beast or the Horde or whatever will be – he's like one of those minor uh, Batman villains, like maybe Killer Croc or something. Like somebody who <laughs> is really powerful. The physical- What's funny is that in the Unbreakable, Samuel L. Jackson also points out that um, – the, there's always two types of villains for every hero. There's the thinker, and there's the physical one. Mm. And that that was a really nice line. That di- that definitely alluded to this idea. Yeah. On. So uh, I did, forgot about that line completely. But yeah, Samuel L. Jackson caused the train crash that found Bruce Willis's character uh, and revealed him to be unbreakable. That train crash killed Kevin's father in this movie, and mm-hmm. is what led him to uh, the life of. Loneliness and mental illness. Well, it turns his it turns his mother. We we assume his mother goes crazy because she's so you know she's the one that abuses him and you know causes his mental 
uh, collapse or yeah. you know, split, splitting so of personalities. Yeah. Would the follow-up be David Dunn and Mr. Glass working together again to stop this guy? Because I don't, I don't think the Horde would want to work with the dude who killed his father, you know? Well, he Let's won't see. know that. How will he know that? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that's, that was also in the news. They, they were talking. Oh, yeah. About, yeah. yeah. It's, it was all tied to Mr. Glass in the news. So once that all comes together, that'll be kind of interesting. Yeah. All righty. Uh-huh. Well, uh, you know, Devendra and I had a number of issues with uh, Split. Jeff had a euphorically positive response. <laughs> Still worth I, watching. Which though, I cannot sure. fault him for. <laughs> Either way, I think we both uh, thought, all, all three of us thought that the movie is w- worth considering. <laughs> and uh, I'm glad it's doing, because this is much closer to the M. Night Shyamalan we knew. Yes. Then films like The Happening, then films like The Last Airbender, uh, so then Lady in the Water, right? This is cl- regardless yeah. of whether you like the movie or not, we can all agree this is closer to the Shyamalan of Unbreakable, of mm-hmm. Signs, of uh, of The Sixth Sense, right? It's in, it's an insane turnaround. Like I cannot stress this enough. Like I some people just didn't like Last Airbender. Fine. That movie broke my heart. Because it was a terrible movie from one of my favorite and most respected directors, even though he had made a couple of bad ones there. But he had also destroyed a franchise. Like, we'll never see another live-action Last Airbender movie. Maybe not even Legend of Korra movie. Well, not for because a while. Because of that. Maybe not, yeah, not for, for like, a while. Maybe in, like, a couple decades we'll get another one. Yeah, but it's not like that. As much as I love that series, not as much in the cultural, you know, context as yeah. it was during that time. So we've that movie was bad. That was a failure that hit me on multiple levels. And this one, like, I like the visit. I was like, oh, maybe he's coming back. Like, maybe he's a little humbled now. This movie gives me faith again. But I hope he kind of keeps that. Like, I hope he doesn't get a huge budget to do something big next time because that's what destroyed him the first time around. It was his own ego, like, like a Shyamalan character. He was kind of destroyed in a way by his own faults. I don't know. Uh, I, I was I would just love think- to understand. Yeah, I would love to understand mm-hmm. like what happened between After uh-huh. Earth, the happening, the last Airbender, and the visit. Like what? What yeah. he changed, talked about After Earth. What changed like Earth. in his in his mm-hmm. creative process? Uh, because it seemed like he started recognizing what was actually quality filmmaking again. And uh, that's very encouraging. So, Well, After Earth was probably a humbling experience for him, too, because he talked about how that was not a good experience for him because it wasn't his thing. He didn't have full control over it, and we know how much of a control freak he is. So in between After Earth and his other failures and, like, his meltdown with Disney, I think it was, right, after Lady in the Water, like, all of that hopefully taught him something. And, by the way, I'm just going to lay this out here. My prediction for the next film, it's going to be something like Red Dragon. It's going to be David Dunn visiting Mr. Glass in jail, you know, like he like uh, they visited Hannibal Lecter in jail before we even knew who Hannibal Lecter was to take down this crazy, insane serial killer. Uh, that would be an awesome. Movie. I would love to why, see. Why that. would you say Red Dragon, Devendra? Why not like uh, Manhunter or Silence of the Lambs, huh? Well, because the book was called Red Dragon, Dave. So get your history straight. Uh, Manhunter <laughs> is the best. The Manhunter is the best version of that story. Uh, but yeah, we also saw it done in the uh, in the Hannibal TV series as well in the last season. So uh, that's a great story because it is all about that idea of somebody who's trying to be good, but also maybe trying to. Uh, keep a dark part of himself, you know, uh, closed and having to work with a supervillain. So, yeah, I'd expect something like that. But who knows? Maybe he'll surprise us even more. All right. I've been sufficiently schooled, Devendra. Um, (laughs) All right. Well, that's going to bring us to the end of our review. Uh, Stay tuned to hear what we'll be reviewing next week. In the meantime, find more episodes of this podcast at SlashFilmCast.com. Email us at SlashFilmCast at gmail.com. Our music often comes from AdamWarrock.com as well as SimonMHarris.com who wrote our SlashFilmCourt theme. 
Uh, and Jeff Kanata, in the meantime, uh, where can people find more of your work on the internet this week? I just want to say one more, one quick thing. One, <laughs> one, 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 Here it comes. One, uh, Here it comes. The closing <laughs> argument. I, I know, I know. <laughs> this and was I, actually an episode of DLC all along. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody, that's an awesome. That's awesome to it. Uh, everybody is probably sick of me by this point, but I will say, I want to live in a world of magic. I, I, I that's. I'm an idealist. I live. I these kinds of moments. I'm so grateful for the 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 feeling of euphoria I got at the end of this movie is unlike anything else, and it's the the possibility of that is so potent in my in my worldview and i think we could have more of it if marvel hadn't told us that spider-man was going to be in their movie it would have provided this experience for people you know there are those times of kinds of possibilities and i i really respect that in from my perspective i think he put box office receipts behind getting this kind of a feeling out to his audience and Mm -hmm. i i love that anyway um you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Kanata with two N's and one T. And I do do two other shows. One is called DLC. It's a video game show. And you can find that at 5x5.tv slash DLC. And I also uh, host a comedy science show called We Have Concerns, which you can find at wehaveconcerns.com. All right. How about you, Devendra? Uh, I'm at Devendra on Twitter. I also write about techandgadget.com and check out the podcast. I had to host the last episode there. So uh, we're doing fun stuff with tech. Jeff, I just want you to know it took a lot of control to not respond to what you just said. I'll let you have the last word on it, okay? Um, but I, I'm on Twitter at Dave Chensky. That's Dave Chen, S-K-Y. I just relaunched my blog. You can find it at DaveChen.net. And the new podcast I'm doing, GenPop at GenPopShow.com. Next week, we'll be reviewing 20th Century Women. 20th Century Women. Uh, why aren't we doing a new release next week? Uh, it is because the new release schedule is pretty rough. Next week is uh, A Dog's yeah. Purpose or Resident <laughs> Evil, the final chapter. Uh, there's also uh, this yeah. movie Gold, Stephen Gagan movie, but it hasn't been getting great reviews. So uh, 20th Century Woman, a movie that has been getting great reviews. We're looking forward to checking that out. Thanks for listening to the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. We're out. Thanks for not listening to this episode. <laughs> Welcome to the Slash Filmcast After Dark. It's a time of the show where we talk about a bunch of random things that didn't come up during the show, just like random things here and there that are of no importance to anyone. Uh, so, you know, listen, don't listen. I don't give a crap. Here we go, Jeff. <laughs> Sometimes we like to use the After Dark to get into emails. Uh, this email comes in from Chris uh, from South Coast United Kingdom. Uh, Chris writes in, heard you mention in passing a few episodes uh, recently the animated movie Sing. I might be uh, mishearing, but it seemed like you mentioned it jokingly, passing it over for terrible. The world needs more films like Sing. It was a happy movie. My wife and I left the cinema with smiles on our faces and springs in our steps. It wasn't the best film ever. It wouldn't make a top ten list, and the overarching story was completely predictable, but it was a happy movie with nice characters and a positive message. I think the world could do more of that right do with more of that right now. That's nice. Uh, Jeff, any intention on seeing Sing? No. <laughs> uh, I do I have to say that 
uh, now that I have a child, um, it seems that all I hang out with are people with children. And um, uh, the weekend that that seeing was sort of happening, <clears throat> I was still on quite a high from seeing Moana. And I was mentioning it to everybody. Oh, my God, you, you're going to see Moana? You're taking your kids to see Moana? Almost universally, everybody was like, I don't really want to see that sing. <laughs> I'm really much more interested in seeing sing. <laughs> so that, that may have uh, colored my uh, references to sing a little bit of like, really, that's the movie that people would rather see than Moana? But I'm, I'm very pleased to hear that sing is, is a positive, uh, lovely experience. And, and, of course, I would want to support those things. Indeed, indeed. 70% Rotten Tomatoes. That's not too bad. But, but based on the trailer, it seemed like it used a lot of – Based on the trailer, it looks like it wasn't a movie. It was just a like a series of animated music videos. <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. Well, just the song selection too. It seemed um, not necessarily like a selection I'd want to go to the theater to see. If that makes sense, <laughs> right? Uh, right. But uh, anyway, uh, some people like it. Unabashedly happy movies, right? I guess we could use more of those. Sure. Yeah, nothing uh, wrong with that. We should mention, by the way, like it, it just, this After Dark, by the way, is just me and Jeff. Uh, Devendra had to take off. But, uh, Jeff, one thing I wanted to mention to you was this Louis C.K. bit where he talks about how when you have uh, kids, like you end up hanging out with like parents of your kids' friends. Yeah, and you want to like make sure they – they choose their friends based on how cool the parents are. Well, it's basically like <laughs> – like, there's no reason – you hang out with all these people you never otherwise would have hung out with because right. your kids choose each other's friends. Like they choose their friends based on no criteria. Like they're yeah. the same size. That's why they, that's why exactly. they like each other. They're yeah, the proximity. Yeah. Uh, I mean your, your uh, child is obviously not old enough to actually have chosen friends. Uh, but one right. day or they will. Fr- friends of any kind really. Or <laughs> <laughs> have friends of any kind. But uh, one day he will and I'm sure uh, we'll hear about all the people you're forced to hang out with. Right. Well, I've already – my wife is in a mommy group. Uh-huh. So uh, I've already had mommy group meetups where I get to meet all the husbands of the mommies and all the kids. And it's cool. You, you know, you just kind of expand your social circle a bit because all these people you would never have run into. Um, so it's, yeah, it's cool. Uh, yeah. Well, 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 we'll see how that plays out as, uh, as he gets older. I'm curious, <laughs> skeptical, hear, Dave. I'm curious to hear what, uh, what happens. Uh, Teddy writes into slash filmcast.gmail.com. Teddy writes, in January has a reputation for being the dumping ground for lowbrow comedies, underworld sequels, and franchise non-starters, but it's usually my favorite time of year for movies. It's when I catch up on the many prestige films still in theaters after their late-year Oscar-qualifying release. Many of these films retroactively end up on my personal best-of list, even though my list was quote-unquote done the year before. Do you slash filmcasters consider your best-of lists ever-changing, accommodating movies released that year, even if you watch them months or even years later, or are they frozen in time? I was inspired to ask this after listening to last year's best of and hearing that David said 45 years would have been on his best of list had he seen it in 2015. Shouldn't it be there nonetheless? Best of list and like well, – How do you respond to that? Uh, are, is, are you asking rhetorically or are you asking me directly? I'm asking you directly. Uh, in my opinion, the best of year list is a product that we put together for the consumption of Slash Filmcast listeners. I completely agree. Like it is not a universal like Dave Chen's best of list that's going to be uh, oh, preserved I, I, for all time in the diary of David Chen. You know, in the in the, the annals of David Chen. This is oh, I guess I misinterpreted list. that. I thought you meant it's a product we put together and 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 thus is frozen in time, which yeah, is why yeah, I was so no, heartbroken that no, I no, forgot no. to include Captain Fantastic because I felt like that is the little time capsule that when people look back and say, "What well, was it?" 
you know, what was my top 10 of the year? That's what I'll, I won't remember that. Oh yeah. I also saw fences later and loved it or whatever. Um, Oh, so, yeah. So same same statement, but different sentiments, right? Yeah. So my thing is like we put the we put this thing out based on arbitrary rules, like and based on our arbitrary time of year, and based on an arbitrary uh, number of movies that we've seen up until that point, right. and we put it out, and you know it, it, it people listen to it, and they hopefully get some good recommendations from it, and they hopefully get some entertainment from it, and then we move on with our lives. Like I don't. I don't think of it as like a this is preserving my preferences for that year because of all the things I just said. You know, maybe we see a movie the day after. Well, I would go a step That's- further and say my best of 2016 list is the best movies I saw in 2016, not the best movies that were released in 2016 because I can't possibly see all of them. So it has to be the best movies that I saw in 2016. Right, right. That's true. That's true, but I'm I'm just saying like maybe the day maybe we made our list on we we did our episode on December 29th and on December 30th I see Fences and it should be on there you know what I mean like it's it's just too there's too many things to consider to try and make it like actually the best movies you saw in 2016 do you know what I'm saying like yeah but this, I but I also think that if you know five years from now you go back and go what were my favorite movies of 2016 you're gonna look at that list you're not gonna go. You're not going to. It is a record. It is a. Uh, it is cast in amber. You know. It is what you thought that day. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. I. I. I don't know. Like I. I just haven't done that very much. You know what I mean. I, I don't. I always look forward, Jeffrey, not backwards. <laughs> right. I, I don't go All back right. and think like, what were my top ten movies? Just because I know it's so malleable. I, I am working on a top ten of all time list. However, would you not consult your previous top tens of the year to? help compile a no, best of ever? No, actually, that's, I, I did not consult any of them, actually. Wow. Uh, because I just, I guess I feel like I know, you know, I just, I know what my top ten are. Or, or I don't know, infall- but I, I know what's going to be in the selection process, you know what I mean? David Chen is infallible and does not need outside resources to help him do anything, really. Speaking of infallible, Jeff, have you seen this uh, new show, The Young Pope, on HBO? I have not. I have not. It is. Is it good? Pretty rough, Jeff. You know, I, I got to say, if it wasn't made by HBO, I would have zero interest in it and only interested in it because it has HBO. I'm like, well, HBO makes good stuff, so I guess I should watch it. Yeah, apparently it aired in the UK months ago and did not – like no one's talked about it because apparently it didn't get that much buzz. But yeah, it's uh, it's pretty ridiculous, Jeff. It's a pretty ridiculous show. I mean, Dave, you know it's called The Young Pope, right? <laughs> <laughs> I do know that. Okay, so uh, ridiculous kind of comes in the, <laughs> the territory. The, of that the actors all look like they re- look and sound like they're reading off cue cards. The dialogue uh-huh. is preposterous. The premise is ludicrous. Like it, it is a uh, very silly thing. I would have uh, thought the young pope would be a ridiculous concept. I, I wish it was a little bit more trashy. It does feel very imbued with self-importance uh, and like it's kind of full of itself. I, I don't like using terms like full of itself or pretentious to describe films because I think it's a rather la- lazy criticism. Like you need to say, what about – like what, what does that mean to be pretentious? Um, but that's the only word that comes to mind when I think of how to describe the series. Uh-huh. Uh, it, it, I, I wish it was a little bit more silly and trashy you know, because then I could hate watch it. But it's <laughs> it's not enjoyable enough on that level in my opinion to really be like a, a enjoyable hate watch. I just love the fact that somebody said, let's do for popes <laughs> what Muppet Babies did for Muppets. That's just gold. That's, that's uh, television gold right there. Mm, 
I don't know if I He's quite agree with that analogy, Jeff. Hey, uh, I want to make a show about a pope. Oh man, I know, I know. We've gotten so many pope pitches, but all the popes—they're all—they're all so old. They're—they're they're like in their seventies. Oh, you're right, you're right. How can I make a pope thing and not have him be in his seventies? Uh, oh, I got it—a young pope. <laughs> I think that's how the meeting went. So uh, Patrick Mo- Monahan had this tweet that has over fifteen or fourteen hundred retweets, and uh, it's like a script here. He re- he's writing a script. He's like writer. So there's a, this pope, right? HBO exec. <laughs> Go on, writer, <laughs> writer. But get this, he's young, and he fucks. HBO exec, cigar falls out of mouth. <laughs> All right, that's way better than my little improv. Uh, I should, yeah. I just let you read that before I embarrassed myself with no, the voices. No worries, no worries. Um, well, anyway, Jeff, uh, wanted to just mention real quick in the After Dark before we wrap it up here, a couple things. Uh, firstly, this Slack that I, I created. Uh, that hey, you're you proud can- of that. Sign up for it at slackfilmcast.com, which for some reason you seem to be mocking me for relentlessly. I don't know why. <laughs> um, but you have not been in a Slack before, right, Jeff? I have no, I am Slack free. I've been uh, no Slack. I've been picking up the Slack. <laughs> no, sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it, is a, it is a really interesting experience, I think, because uh, it's like real time, but also kind of asynchronous, but mostly real time. Uh, and keeping track of it is exhausting. Like I, I have a couple of other Slacks that literally have I'm, – I'm in a couple of other Slack groups that literally have maybe less than a dozen people. So it's like six people. And you can read everything, every message that everyone reads, right? Like everyone types in, I should say. Mm-hmm. And in this Slack, there are currently over 600 people. And I think people are just finding it incredibly exhausting because – it's, you just cannot keep up with everything that's that's happening. You're not really selling this, Dave. Or yeah. maybe you're trying to to call the herd a little bit. See, there's well, fewer messages. I guess no. I'm just trying to say that, like, I, I think your uh, expectations going in, like, a lot of people are in Slack groups that have you know 10, 20 people, I see. and and they haven't been it's really in made Slack for that. That yeah, it's it, it's yeah. really made for that, right? They haven't been. I'm using it for a purpose it's not made for. Uh, but yeah, they uh, they haven't been in a Slack group that has this many people in it, and I think it's like incredibly disorienting. Um, but I would love to hear your thoughts on it at some point if you have a chance. Yeah, to no, that. I will. I my my mother has been in town uh, last week, so I'm even haven't... even though you seem to have zero respect for the entire concept of it. Would no, to hear... I, I love it. What are you talking about? I love. We'd it. love to hear. Anyway, if you want to sign up, go to slackfilmcast.com. But. Uh, uh, it is interesting. I'm looking forward to like when we do uh, like when the Oscars come on, we can have like a chat room for that. Um, that'll be fun. Yeah, for sure. Uh, also, wanted to mention this other thing, Jeff. So I, I relaunched my personal blog recently, DaveChen.net, and I had this I had this like fear go through me recently. This is the motivation behind the personal blog relaunch. Is uh, Ars Technica? Have you read Ars Technica before? Oh, yeah, of course. They released this uh, company Death Watch for 2017. They're like, here are the companies we don't think are going to survive 2017. And Yahoo's on there, and a couple of other companies are on there, and Twitter is on there. Now, Twitter, I don't think Twitter is going to die at the end of 2017, but there is a lot of speculation that Twitter will not be the same. Uh, it might be sold this year. It might be drastically changed. Isn't but- it crazy that a thing that literally the president of the United States uses every day – can't figure out how to make any money. That's it pretty is. wild. It is. Uh, and I mean I can just tell you that like they're trying to play Facebook's game and failing. Like Facebook just has much more 
information and much more detail on you. They have a much more detailed like social graph. You know, your your connections on Facebook in general, not not for maybe for you and I, not really, but in general, are people who you know in real life and. That's some really valuable information for advertisers. Whereas right. for Twitter, not really the case. You know, like I follow seventeen hundred people or you know twelve hundred people or whatever. I don't even know that many people in real life. You know, I have uh, some amount of thousands of followers. I certainly, certainly, that many people don't know me in, in my personal life. Um, and so, uh, it's just a different social. It's a different graph, right? Of of like who your the people you know are. And so, it's less valuable to advertisers. And not to mention, uh, it's a lot harder to get people to click on things in Twitter. I don't know if you've noticed this, Jeff, but mm. um, when you send out links, like they get. It's much more difficult for something to go viral on Twitter. Like you, something can start going viral on Twitter, but it's hard hard for something to really get. Uh, like like a video on Facebook can get twenty million views, right? On right. Twitter, that almost never happens. Uh, just because when was the last time you watched a full length video on Twitter? It just is the usage paradigms are are so different. Anyway, uh, going all this just to say that like. I, I was seized with this fear that, like, if Twitter goes away, uh, uh, what what am I going to have? Like, I, I doubt it's going to go away completely, but it might change drastically. Like, what am I going to have left of? Like, I put in you and I put in massive quantities of time on Twitter. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. and and continue to do daily more than I probably should. <laughs> I I'm a, I'm conflicted about this because I there is a very large part of me that thinks a world without Twitter is a better world to live in yeah um, and, and it, you know I'm, I'm not usually that much of a Luddite that much of that much of anti-technology but I and, and this is somebody that recognizes my own addiction to it I, I kind of feel like if if they went away and it was forced out of my hand it, it might be better for me and I, I don't know if I have the willpower to impose that on myself um, but I also feel like it's kind of too big to fail. Like it, it is, it is a cultural phenomenon. Twitter. Nobody says, uh, "Oh, the, you know, the president said this on Facebook." Nobody says, uh, "You know, this famous athlete got in trouble because he criticized people on Facebook." It's Twitter is a is a thing unlike anything else, and I don't, I can't imagine it doesn't continue to exist in. In some way, uh, I, I, don't, I wouldn't say some form. I think the form stays the same. I think this, there's got to be a way it continues to exist, even if, as a corporate entity, it doesn't remain uh, profitable. I yeah. think that this, as a service, as a sort of fundamental information distribution idea, it's too important to cease to exist. I, I agree with you uh, in theory, but we we all forget that. You know, Twitter is a private company. It's not open source. It's not. Right. Uh, there's no open graph there. I think there was a really uh, great article I read a while ago about. Um, I'm trying to find it, but it's basically about how like we we think we're like we're meeting in the public sphere, right, with something like Twitter, uh, but really we're just. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Um, New York Magazine wrote this article. Twitter is a mall, so it's going to regulate itself like a mall. Right, and like uh, hasn't been. <laughs> here's a uh, yeah, you know, another article that was written recently. Lindy West wrote for the Guardian. I've left Twitter. It is unusable for anyone but trolls, robots, and dictators. Uh, <laughs> so she she was a very well known Twitter personality and author, and left Twitter because uh, she could not uh, she could not contribute 
more of her energy and time to helping to increase the value of a company uh, that facilitates hate groups and right. uh, the rise of uh, you know dictators. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I do get value out of Twitter, but increasingly that the pie chart of that value is is shrinking, and the much larger portion of the pie chart is devoted to just getting into stupid arguments with people that I, whose opinion I shouldn't care about anyway. Uh, and and I don't, I, I'm not proud of that, and I I kind of have a hard time resisting it. But I kind of see the <laughs> I see the point that she's making. Yeah. Um, but uh, in this article by uh, Max Reed, Twitter is a mall, uh, which he wrote in January 2016, about a year ago. Uh, by calling itself the free speech wing of the free speech party, Twitter has consistently positioned the company as a kind of digital town square and driven every user policy decision into the realm of speech wars. And it's unfortunately true that in many ways, Twitter fulfills the traditional function of being a gathering place for the free exchange of ideas. But when you subcontract the provision and maintenance of a town square to a corporation, it's going to be run like a town square. It's going to be run like a mall. And make no mistake, Twitter is a mall. Its function is to entice people to spend time on it so they can be sold something. I don't mean this pejoratively necessarily. I love Spencer's gifts and Auntie Annie's. And in many cases, malls <laughs> can be good places to hold conversations about politics between friends. But if you make people uncomfortable, if you yell or harass or loudly and consistently express political opinions, eventually mall cops on Segway show up to demand your ID and hustle you out maybe permanently, end quote. Uh, we need more mall cops. Yeah, this, we, we, do, we totally need more mall cops on Twitter. But his point is just that it is, it is a private corporation, right? right? Like we think it's like a public space like in, in the town square, but it is a mall. Like it's it's run by a company. They're going to do things to keep it how they want it to to be run. Uh, and so I, I realized, like I, you know, I've put in how many tweets have I made? Let's let's look this up. How many tweets have you made, Jeff? You can. See I'm going right? to guess about forty thousand. But let me look. Uh, yeah, I've, mine is exact. Forty thousand, forty point one thousand. That's how many tweets I've made. I have made forty nine thousand. Forty nine thousand. Right. Yeah. That's that's a lot of tweets. Uh, it's probably an average of many tweets a day. It's probably dozens, if not hundreds, of hours we've spent right. on the site. Now, we have to mention how many t- how much time spent just reading other stuff. Right. Now we spent we've we've gotten a lot of value out of that. Right. It's not like we've got True. we haven't gotten a lot of value out of it. Like I'm not saying it's therefore worthless. Uh, we've gotten people to click on links. We've gotten to, we've launched Kickstarters. You know what I mean. Uh, we've increased our profile online. Like, there's a lot of value. We had gone meaningful up. interaction with a lot of people. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I realize this is a mall. It's a mall, by the way, that's really suffer. That's lost hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, and who knows how long it will continue to exist on the largesse of its funders and investors, uh, aka you know the people who bought into its stock and stuff. Uh, and I, I was seized with this fear that it, would all, it could all just go away. One day it could all just go away. And all this – you can download all your tweets and stuff, but like uh, it's, it's all just going to go away. And you know, Jeff, I, like at some point, the open web, like blogs and stuff, that was supposed to be the future. And then instead we ended up with these closed systems like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and so on. And uh, I'm like, hey, I'm going back, going, bringing it back to the 90s. Uh, so I relaunched my blog. Got it on WordPress, which is an open source standard. You know, promote it on MySpace. Got to promote it on MySpace. Got, your, you got yeah. your AOL and Prodigy accounts. You're doing it. Uh, well, the the thing that's different is like I own you know all the content on on the yeah. blog, right? Like I uh, 
un- unless like servers stop being a thing that I can pay for, or unless I can stop running, like unless the infrastructure for the internet ceases to exist, my blog will exist for as long as uh, I want it to. Well, was this and, topic just an ad for your blog? It really, it really was. I guess <laughs> it, it was. It was both an ad for my blog, which is by the way at DaveChen.net, but also uh, an encouragement to you, to someone like yourself. Uh, to to put more time into something yeah, that you can useful. control. You know what I mean? I think that's a great point, Dave. I th- you know, I will make an ancillary point. It's really not the same topic, but it it, it comes from the same uh, retrospection about Twitter and the amount of time I put in on Twitter. I've sort of come to, just in the last couple of days, I've come to a new uh, New Year's resolution. And that is, uh, just in the last couple of days, I have been... Uh, I have succumbed <laughs> to the to the scourge of uh, uh, helping to spread fake news. Uh, oh, of, oh shit! I totally forgot about this. Continue. Yeah, yes, go ahead. To, of, of, <laughs> of being tricked into not tricked. I, I it's on me. I shouldn't. Um, I shouldn't. You know, offload the responsibility. It, it is yeah. my fault. Yeah. But. I have seen things that I, that looked true and retweeted them without checking it. Yep. And uh, I have decided that I am no longer going to get news bits uh, from Twitter or Facebook or any social media. That I am going to read the New York Times and the Washington Post and the uh, Wall Street Journal. And I am and any time that I do see something that piques my interest, I'm going to go look at the article, Google it. Uh, not just click a link from a social media site to read what somebody sends me. And um, I think that is going to I- improve my life. But it, but it's a big change because uh, it really bummed me out as much as I've railed against uh, fake news. And even I hate using that term now because it's been co-opted. co-opted yeah. yeah. Um, but the idea of these sites that make things up whole cloth that um, – you know, our, our unfettered, unchecked, uh, you know, uh, false claims about world events uh, that I'm going to only go to trusted news sources that actually have standards and, and best practices. And uh, I, I encourage other people to do the same. I, I think it's going to require a little extra effort, but I think that effort will be worthwhile. Jeff, uh, firstly, everything you said is great. Like, it's very admirable, and I encourage everyone to do what you're saying. But – I, I cannot let this pass without giving you total shit about this, Jeff. <laughs> uh, and, and okay, so here's what happened, okay? Donald Trump's inauguration speech, uh, which some would argue is terrifying for many reasons, uh, was, was found to have an actual uh, line that uh, Bain says in The Dark Knight Rises, Right? Yes. So on Twitter, and thematically, the whole speech is really similar. It's very Bane-like. It's very Bane-esque, right? And uh, so a lot of people started tweeting out this juxtap- this humorous juxtaposition. Humorous juxtapositions do really well on social media, right? Like you have, Definitely. oh, uh, here's Donald Trump's speech. Here's Bane's speech. It's hilarious. Retweet a thousand times. So, uh, so then some fake versions of that started springing up, right? And one of them was a comparison between Donald Trump's speech and uh, Colonel Miles Quaritch from Avatar. And uh, here's the quote from Donald Trump's speech. Uh, 
Whether a child is born in the urban sprawl of Detroit or the windswept plains of Nebraska, they look up at the night sky, they fill their heart with the same dreams, and they are infused with the breath of life by the same almighty creator. Uh, and <laughs> the, uh, the, that is real. That actually came from his inauguration speech. Here is a quote from Avatar that it supposedly comes from. And whether a human child is born on Earth or in the space colonies or the windswept planet of Kabuska, they look up at the same stars, they fill their life with the same dreams, and they are infused with the breath of conquest by the same almighty creator. And so people juxtapose these two quotes. They said, it's hilarious. He took it from Miles Quaritch from Avatar, who, by the way, Miles Quaritch is a monster in that movie, right? Right. And some people tweeted this at us and said, now who's culturally irrelevant, right? This is a long-running joke about whether Avatar is culturally relevant or not. And you can't get more culturally relevant than getting plagiarized in the, pres- the president's inauguration speech. Uh, well, turns out that – so when I saw that, I was like, huh, huh. A, that's, that's hilarious if true. B, I don't remember Miles Quaritch saying anything like that. I had the same thought, by the way. <laughs> I was like, I don't remember him saying that, but I, it's on Quartz Twitter, is, so he, it must be true. He does not speak that much in the movie. And and when he does speak, I remember a lot of his lines because he's a very good actor and his lines are very memorable. Like, you Juju know, Pandora will eat you up and shit you out. You know, like, I remember those lines. It's very... Eat your eyes like Jujubees. Yeah, exactly. Eat your eyes like Jujubees, exactly. Um, but you and I both saw this. And uh, you retweeted it, I think, and I actually shared it in in the Slack filmcast. Uh, and which is even worse, Dave, because <laughs> those people trust you. Yeah, no, you seriously. created that world. <laughs> Jeff, <laughs> remind me never to mention the Slack filmcast to you. <laughs> but uh, anyway, you and I both hate fake news, aka. News that is or like li- basically lies, right? You and I hate, hate lies that are intended to get more clicks, uh, yeah. that are not explicitly presented as such. You know, we're fine with the onion and click hole and stuff. Sure. Uh, and so when you realize what you had done, you deleted your tweet, your your retweet. You were disgusted with yourself, and uh, and you you felt very bad about it. And I also I deleted my Slack message and I apologized to everyone as well. Like we yeah. we we hate to be vectors of propagating falsehoods, right? Right. Indeed. But Jeff, <laughs> you're I gonna can't say, help. I, wait, wait. You're going to say yep. that the fact yep. that uh, people didn't know it wasn't from that movie <laughs> may, means that no one remembers that movie, it means that the movie wasn't relevant, QED, yep. ipso facto. Uh, Avatar is not culturally relevant. Yeah. Right. Uh, to which I say <laughs> – Hogwash. I mean, fine. Maybe a little, but it's not like you could – there's a lot of movies that are – you know, you could probably pull something out of – you know, claim it's from Star Wars, right? Something that's a little Star Warsy, and you'd fool some Star Wars fans too. Okay. You know? That is – what you just said is absolute nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> but it's okay. It's okay, Jeff. You're still, you're still reeling from, from your lies, your web of lies. So – uh, anyway, the thing yes. that makes me so angry is the, 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 there's like, Dave, can I, can I get real for a second? Nobody's listening to this by now. <laughs> we know that to be true. No yep, one listens. No one's made it this far in the podcast. Yes. Uh, so I'm going to be real for a second and I hope none of them are listening, but there's like five <laughs> people that always respond to me on Twitter whenever I tweet anything remotely political, which Recently has been more and more. Yeah. Because I feel it's my civic duty 
to speak my mind. Uh, but there's like literally like five people and they're all consistently uh, obtuse in their uh, – stubborn I should say more. Stubborn in their uh, their commitment to being um, obstinate. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and it it empowered them when i did when i messed up like you can't take you can't get one misstep you can't make one misstep because they're like aha see <laughs> look at you with your spreading lies that means cnn is wrong and the new york times is wrong it's all the same ipso facto yeah e you, pluribus unum <laughs> yeah you tweeting out this avatar quote when it was wrong means that cnn lies to everyone uh, and i and i got to tell you dave those five people, and I hate to even empower them, but luckily no one's listening right now. But I hate to even empower <laughs> they, them. I guarantee you they're listening, but continue. <laughs> These five individuals are enough to make me just want to quit all social media. And it, like they, their tireless efforts to always I, reply. I, wait, I, I don't understand why you don't just block these people, Jeff. I, I do block or, some. Or mute them. Mute them. Like they, they – they feel like they are big fans of mine, and I like, see. You know, these are these well, people just, are just mute them, Jeff. They won't even know. I know, but that just feels <laughs> feels like they won because I can't hear dissenting opinion. That is absolute. That's that's not correct. That's not okay correct. because it's not that I can't hear dissenting opinion. It is that their responses a, a take up so much of my mental energy. Yeah, to kind of even try to understand where they're coming from when they respond with such nonsense and such illogic. That's the, that's the hard part for me is the illogic that I'm always faced with that when I point out something and then they respond with, you know, these weird, the way we arguments go on the internet, everybody, I don't need to even give an example. Everyone knows how an argument goes on the internet where it's not actually an argument anymore. It just becomes a thing. That straw man, fucking whatever the thing it's whatever. It it is so draining and taxing, and I will close my app on my phone, and I will walk around, and I'll be brushing my teeth, going to bed, and I'll still be thinking about their stupid retort. And it it's literally just five people in the world that are vexing me so. And I I, I think you're right. Maybe I just need to mute them. But yeah. it, it is enough that I go. Why do I even? Why do I even? Why should I even participate in this medium if this is the result? If these people are going to just outlast me, like their their commitment and and ability to constantly throw bullshit in my roadway is so much more long lasting than my willpower to to swerve around the bullshit. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah, a bad metaphor. I have a, few, a, thought, I have a few thoughts on this. Okay, please. Firstly, uh, I want to agree with Dustin uh, in the chat room that you are now the Kellyanne Conway of the Slash Podcast. <laughs> what does that mean? I'm just joking. Because I, because I retweeted the Avatar <laughs> yeah, thing? Yes, that's right. Yeah, I, uh, secondly – Wait, no, one of the things this morning, real quick, one of the things this morning was um, I, I tweeted out a, uh, a, a Bill Crystal quote, uh-huh. uh, arch-conservative yeah. uh, Bush White House – Advocate uh, Bill Crystal uh, tweeted said uh, was interviewed by CNN I think and said that he was embarrassed by Sean Sands' display and and like every Republican should be embarrassed that a person walked out and just straight up lied and I 
you know, just tweeted out his quote. And I got such a, a, a raft of shit from people on the left. Like, how dare you uh, endorse anything this, you know, this man says? And I was like, yeah, me quote, putting out one quote of his means that I've endorsed everything Bill Crystal has ever said. And now I, you know, all his positions are my positions because whatever. Anyway, but that's. All right. So I have two more thoughts for you, Jeff. As, as we as we wrap this up, firstly, I mean, I'm very sorry that you've had to deal with this, but I think uh, it's like the uh, it's like the airplane safety video says, right? You got to put on your own safety mask before you can help those around you. In this case, you got to practice some self care here. Self care means uh, only putting things into your world that are going to help you to you know uh, be as encouraging and uplifting uh, and helpful to people as you can be, and that means. Muting these suckers, but don't, but don't date. I, I, I agree with that and appreciate you saying it. But don't isn't not hearing the other side kind of how we gotten into this position? People constructing bubbles of their own echo chamber. I, I'm conflicted in that respect. Yeah, uh, I would say that. Uh... I don't want to get into this whole debate right now, but like, <laughs> I, I guess I would say that I would say that like the Republican Party made it their mission in the last eight years to delegitimize and to subvert the will of Barack Obama's uh, agenda, right? That was their only mission. They had no interest in reaching across the aisle or doing anything. Uh, and you know, liberals are always the more friendly group. They're always like, hey, maybe we can rise above this. When we go low, you go high. Or when they go low, we go high, blah, 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 blah. We, we can rise above this. It didn't work. And uh, I, I don't feel like taking a more enlightened approach is going to be the best path going forward. That's, like, that's just a general overall thought. But in this case, uh, I disagree with you. <laughs> because... Okay. If going back to the airplane mask analogy, if you can't, you know, be like a well balanced, happy individual, then nothing good is going to happen. Like forget forget about like any of the political change you want to see. Like if you're like going around bitter all the time, like nothing good can happen. So like that is a precondition for anything else good happening. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, yeah. I think that's accurate. Here's the other point I'll make, and Kevin Smith actually made this great video about it uh, that I'll share with you. But basically, he. Uh, you know, Kevin Smith is a guy who has like won at life, right? I mean, he uh, he's rich. He can he like hundreds of thousands, of mil- if not millions, of people like listen to what he has to say. He's directing TV shows and films that he wants to make on his own terms. Um, and for a while, he was so caught up in the online space that he he was saying like, "Oh man," people would ask him like, "Oh, why are you pissed? At- why why are you so upset? You're, you're in a bad mood. Why are you in a bad mood?" And he's like, "Oh well." Someone said something mean to me on the internet today. And to people on the outside world, that's just like, that's ridiculous. Like, who gives a crap? Some 12 year old, like, didn't like you. Why why are you letting that impact the fact that, you know, you've won at life? And, you know, Jeff, your successes are of a different kind, but you've also won at life in many ways, uh, as we discussed in the last After Dark. (laughs) And, um, and, you know, why are you letting these randos, uh, like impact your mood you know uh, it, it's it's a thing like what whatever you need to do to not let that happen i think is justified because it's it's uh it should it shouldn't happen like you, you there's so much good in your life uh there's so much good to celebrate there's so many there's so much crap that you bring to your own life that you don't need other people helping you you know what i mean so i feel like uh just 
whatever you can do, don't give people that power over you. That's my encouragement. I think you're. I think you're right. I just. Uh, I have a hard time, Dave. All right, man. Well, I appreciate it. We're all rooting for you, Jeff. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean that. I, I mean that. You know, there's bigger, there's bigger fish to worry about, but uh, yeah. All right. Well, let's just all. Maybe we can just all hope that uh, Twitter gets turned off. We just turn it off. <laughs> yeah. We'll all be better off. Indeed. Indeed.